Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. Get ready, get ready. His name is Padawan J. Let me talk to you. Yeah. Because we're not here to make friends. We're here to make money. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. We're home. We're home. Man, oh man, do we have a lot to talk about in the land of pro wrestling and sports. So uh-huh. definitely we got to get this show started. So we'll make it very short and very sweet for the intro for anything and everything that is the ODPH. You can find it at odphpodcast.com and on the socials use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off the edition because the wrestling is going to be a very, very lengthy breakdown. Let us get into the land of the NFL because it's Locks and Leafs time, and let us recap the week that was Week 12. Yeah, so uh, we're going to start with my lock, and one of my locks I chose was the Miami Dolphins to defeat the New York Jets, which they did handedly by the final score of 34-13. to uh, Tua Tagovailoa, 21-30 for 243 yards passing, one touchdown, two interceptions. Tim Boyle went 27-38 for 179 yards passing, one touchdown, two interceptions. Brees Hall led New York in rushing with seven carries, 25 yards, zero touchdowns. Raheem Moster uh, led Miami in rushing with 20 carries, 94 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, and then for receiving, Jalen Waddell led Miami in receiving with eight catches, 114 yards receiving, no touchdowns. Should also note Tyree Kill, nine catches, 102 yards receiving, one touchdown. Uh, and for the Jets, it was Garrett Wilson leading the way with seven catches, 44 yards, and just one touchdown. Well, benching Zach Wilson. Um, benching him to the point where he's not even the backup. He's the third string. Yeah. he He's the in-case-of-emergency break glass. Yeah, and obviously... I don't even think he could help at this stage. No. No, this was bad. I mean, Miami, let's face it, great offense, mediocre defense. Uh-huh. And the Jets could only still put up 13 points. Although maybe they're getting some help, not a ton of help, because I did read uh, yesterday as we record that they are signing Jason Pierre-Paul off of the New Orleans Saints practice squad. I mean, their defense. So it got, it's a help. It's a help, but... It ain't going to fix everything. Th- that's the whole problem. I mean, the Jets just got so many problems, it's it's just not even funny. Well, I mean, for Miami. Well, Miami, the thing with them is their bread and butter is the offense. Yep. Unless they find diamonds in the rough. And, I mean, Pierre Paul at this stage, I don't think is really going to be a no. needle mover. No. I think it's more of a sense of they're just going to have to literally be the Dallas Mavericks of the NFL. They're going to have to just outscore everybody. Yeah. yeah. Like when Mike D'Antoni was head coach. Yeah. You know, like I say, during those kind of periods, it was the same thing when he was coaching in Houston, when this, the seven-second offense. That's literally what you get from the Dolphins. Yeah. Until they actually face a real team that is a playoff contender and put up a uh, game like this, right? that's a different story. And I don't want to hear about Denver being one, because Denver's, <laughs> granted, they've been on a win streak, but I'm still not considering them in the playoffs just yet. I'm, I'm right. sorry. I don't even care if they're in there mathematically. It comes down to Miami just has that great of an offense. And the Jets, <laughs> it, like, honestly, I, their offense doesn't scare anybody. Their defense is getting wore out. Uh-huh. 
And honestly, they're just buying time right now until if Aaron Rodgers wants to come back to say he did. Right. And then we worry about next season because I think for the Jets, unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of changes. Yeah. Uh, we got to figure, much like uh, Carolina went through the uh, last couple days with a bunch of their coaching changes, you got to figure the Jets will do the same. And you mentioned the defense not being good. I mean, they're not. Uh, you're the Miami defense, sorry, mm-hmm. not the Jets. Uh, Miami defense, not good. Uh, when you just look at points per game, they are in the bottom third of the NFL. They are averaging, let's see here, 22.8. or They're giving up 22.8 points per game. The only teams that are behind them are the Detroit Lions, Los Angeles Chargers, New York Giants, Indianapolis Colts, Chicago Bears, Denver Broncos, Carolina Panthers, Arizona Cardinals, and the Washington Commanders. Exactly. The Patriots are ahead of the Dolphins in something. You're winning something right now, Pat. Let's go. Take advantage of that. And honestly, this is why I don't consider Miami a real Super Bowl contender. I mean, sure, if you can put up 34 a game, chances are you're going to win. You're going to win most games. But then again, if you have to face a high-powered offense like a Kansas City, uh huh, like a Baltimore, which let's give them their due, Yeah, Baltimore can put up some points. Yeah you're going to struggle in those playoff games because your defense can't keep anybody off the field. Like, sure, you're beating the mediocre teams, and that's what the Jets are at this stage. Right. The Jets are literally mailing it in, in my opinion. Like I say, the performance level just isn't there. Right. I think everybody's waiting to get to the offseason, and then you know, then it's hit the reset button. Well, and you look at the playoff brackets as they currently stand, where in the wildcard round, you would have the four-seeded Miami Dolphins taking on the five-seeded Pittsburgh Steelers, mm-hmm. which – on paper, you would think, oh, yeah, Miami can beat them, but it's playoff football any given Sunday and all that jazz. Right. But even if they happen to make it by Pittsburgh, which, let's face it, there, there's a good possibility they could do it, but you never know. It's Pittsburgh playoffs. Who's to say? But even if they get by Pittsburgh, they would be playing, uh, they could possibly be playing Baltimore in the second round. Yeah. Yikes. Exactly. That's what I say. Like, I don't think they were going to get past the second round at all. No. Sorry. Even with that great offense. Your defense is not exactly scaring anybody. Uh-huh. And the fact that you shut down Tim Boyle, right? I mean, that's really nothing to be bragging about, to be honest with you. I'm sorry. Because it's the lowest seed plays Baltimore. So if you look at the other matchups, it's Jacksonville versus Cleveland in three and six. Uh, Kansas City versus Indianapolis at two and seven. Okay, so if Kansas City wins and then Jacksonville wins, the lowest seed plays Baltimore. Well... The three seed and the two seed are ahead of the four seed, if my if I remember my Sesame Street right. Mm-hmm. Baltimore would smoke Miami. Oh, yeah. It wouldn't be it, – it would be – It'd be close. It'd be close for a little bit, but Baltimore would go crazy in that second half because that's the one thing. Baltimore is playoff ready. They're going to handle themselves very easily. Uh-huh. The Dolphins are winning this division basically by default. Yep. And they're going to have a somewhat – easy route into the playoffs, I, oh, yeah. I think would say. Oh, yeah. Well, but, somebody's got to win the division by default. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to say, but the AFC East has turned into that. Uh-huh. The, the Jets are bad. The Patriots are bad. The Bills are bad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will talk about that game later. Oh, trust me. I have lots to say about that. But at the end of the day here, it comes down to Miami doing what good teams should do, and that's beat the lesser teams. Uh-huh. The Jets, <laughs> I mean – we could sit there and pick them apart on any which way you want to oh, go. Oh God! But I mean, I've it just like it, the appearances, in my opinion, is like they're mailing it in. Like they say, just yeah. There's no spark on the offense. Yeah. The defense is getting burnt out. You're seeing the players frustrated on the sidelines. So, like I say, they're not intentionally, you know, leave, you know, mailing it in. But right. But there's only so much you can do when it, you're constantly 
trying to play catch-up, mm-hmm. and you're just wore out. And that's the problem that you have here. The fact Miami was up 17-6 to at halftime was a very telling sign. I think the I, – because I kind of wonder why they're running Tim Boyle out there. Just because, you know, he's in his fifth season out of Eastern Kentucky. Uh, you know, and for his career – let's see. Let's pull up his career stats because his season stats aren't really anything sexy. Uh, career, he's got 786 yards passing, four touchdowns, 11 interceptions in 19 games played. He's played for Green Bay for two years, Detroit for one year, and then Chicago this last year. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at what happened in Cleveland mm-hmm. where Deshaun Watson went down. You know, they, they went with the backups, but then they also signed Joe Flacco. Right. And then now there's talk and there's some, you know, some possibility Joe Flacco could see some game time this Sunday. You can't, I can't help but wonder with, you know, the the Jets sticking with Zach Wilson for so long and, and the head coach saying, oh, he's our guy. He gets it. He this and the other. And like, Obviously, he's not going to tear the guy down in press conferences, sure. but he's going to like try and build him up and like give him a little bit of a boost. But like they stuck with him for this long, and then just out of the blue, one game they decided to put him after one game bad game. They put him as the third string quarterback, not the backup, third string, the, mm. emer- the emergency quarterback. And now you're running Tim Boyle out there from Eastern Kentucky. I can't help but wonder with Rodgers going down in the first game if maybe the Jets front office bought into this whole, oh, I'm going to come back lightning quick, faster than anyone's come back before kind of stuff he's been hinting at and alluding to. And that's what they were banking on, was that he'd be back by now. Uh, No, I I think the problem was that, they sure, they were hoping it, but I think what Salal had to do is go, okay, this is Zach Wilson's last ride. Let's see what he can do. Right. And unfortunately, the reaction of the team, and it's very public, so we're not exactly exaggerating, I would say too much, was not that receptive. And you saw a lot of, of players kind of making you know comments towards the offense. Right. And who's the center of the offense? The quarterback. So there is that issue there. I mean, there was rumors going around about a lot of you know innuendo, and like I say, we, we unfortunately for the Jets, you've you've had a lot of comments coming out of that camp that give uh-huh. perception is reality. Yeah. So like I say, when you're hearing a lot of this come out, and you're hearing the frustration come out of everybody. It's venting on the offense, the offense, and that's the biggest problem right here with the Jets. Which is wild to think of because let's not forget who was the preseason spring, uh, training camp uh, NFL hard knocks candidates on HBO was the Jets. Mm-hmm. What was the one thing a lot of people were saying coming out of, you know, those three, four episodes, however many it was for Hard Knocks. Oh, look at how good the Jets are. Look at how well they're getting together. Everyone really, you know, everyone seems to really be buying into what they're selling there. Mm-hmm. And then you flip the script less than six months and it's totally on its axis. Well, that's the whole thing. The team's come unraveled and you're seeing the frustrations boil over. You're hearing a lot of news stories, like I say, reiterating. So it's not like we're saying we're making right. something up. These are news stories that were getting allegedly leaked out. So as I say, when the perception is that real, there's a problem. And unfortunately, I think this is going to cost Lyle his job at the end of the season. It probably will. I'm just putting it out there. But anyway, Miami is going to be moving forward. The Jets just got to get to the end of the season. Yep. Uh, And looking at the schedules for these two teams the next couple of weeks, uh, this upcoming Sunday, the Miami Dolphins are on the road playing the Washington Commanders. Week 14, they're at home against the Tennessee Titans. That one will be on Monday night on ESPN. Then week 15, they're at home against the New York Jets. Then week uh, 16, at home against the Dallas Cowboys. And for the New York football Jets, this upcoming Sunday, they are at home against the Atlanta Falcons. Week 14, they're at home 
against the Houston Texans. Week 15, as I mentioned, on the road playing the Miami Dolphins. And then week 16, at home playing the Washington Commanders. Bum, 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 bum. Uh-huh. Uh, and then let's get to one of my leaps, which I thought, eh, hey, you know, possibility this could happen. I'll take a shot in the dark because the leaps weren't anything real sexy this week. Uh, I chose the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to beat the Indianapolis Colts, which they almost did, you know. But they didn't, uh, losing by the final score of 27-20. to 20. Gardner Minshew, 24-41, 251 yards passing, no touchdowns, one interception. Uh, Baker Mayfield for Tampa Bay went 20 of 30, 199 yards passing, one tu- two, two, excuse me, two touchdowns, just one interception. Uh, Rashad White led Tampa Bay in rushing with 15 carries, 100 yards rushing, no touchdowns. Jonathan Taylor, 15 carries, 91 yards, two touchdowns. Michael Pittman Jr. led Indianapolis in receiving with 10 catches, 107 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, and then Mike Evans led Tampa Bay in receiving with six catches, 70 yards, and two touchdowns. Well, I mean, for the Colts, this was a solid win. But unfortunately, Jonathan Taylor is now injured. Yep, and he's going to miss, it sounds like, uh, multiple weeks. Yeah, it sounds like he's going to miss a couple weeks with thumb surgery. Yeah, so reading from uh, the update on his player profile on ESPN.com, it's and this is as of an hour ago as we record this, uh, it says, quote, Colts owner Jim Ursay said that Taylor will undergo thumb surgery in Los Angeles on Wednesday, and the team is hopeful the running back will be able to return to action in two to three weeks. James Boyd of The Athletic reports. Yeah, so a big blow for the Colts, but I don't think it's going to overall hurt them that much. No, they, they're doing fairly well, you know, even with him not putting up monster numbers, because 91 on 15 carries is, I'd say, fairly average for mm-hmm. him. It's great if you're a fantasy owner, but it's it's fairly average for him. But you look at the rest of them, you know, they've got Zach Moss there, 8 for 55. He's used to being a feature back. You know, when he when his time up in Buffalo, you know, so he can definitely pick up the load. Is is it going to equal the output Jonathan Taylor would do? No, but is it better than nothing? Yes. Yeah, it's for what they they need to do to win this division. Yeah, I mean, they can definitely sneak in there and do it. Zach Moss is adequate to yeah. fill in some space. I mean, is he going to be as dominant as Taylor? No, but he's not expected to be. It's going to come down to literally Gardner Minshew guiding this team and putting up some points and moving the chains. Minshew mania, baby. I mean, that honestly, that's what it's going to Running come down to. Running wild on everybody. But he does have a chance to do that. That's one situation. With the Colts, I mean, the bar is set low. I mean, no offense, but let's be honest about it. Yeah. They're flying in under the radar. Bar's been set real low since Peyton Manning left. Mm-hmm. And like I say, they play very fundamentally sound. That's why we always yeah. refer to them as the most boring team in football. Well, one of them. Yeah, that's why I say we get this out of them. So now the question is, what can they do moving forward? And especially in this game, this was a very solid win for them. Yeah. I mean, the Buccaneers' record doesn't really reflect the team performance. Yeah, it, it's just Baker's doing everything he can. Yeah. 199, two touchdowns and interception. That's a fairly good stat line. Six sacks, though. Yikes. That's the biggest issue there. Yikes. And like I say, he's still doing what he can. Ricard White is doing what he can do on the ground, 15 and for 100 yards. Like I say, that is – like I say, you can't ask for much more. Uh-huh. It's just the problem is the defense just let up a little bit here and there. And then so I say that at the beginning of the season, we thought Baker was back to Baker of Oklahoma days. That's what it sounds like. But now, unfortunately, that's not the case. So we have to wait to kind of see what happens now because I think for them being in the, in the NFC South, their playoff window I think is closed officially. 
for the NFC South, yeah. Uh, looking at the standings, the NFC South, the Atlanta Falcons are currently in first. God, this division fucking sucks. Yeah. The Atlanta Falcons are in first place with a record of five and six. Uh, then you've got the New Orleans Saints at five and six as well. Tampa Bay Buccaneers with a record of four and seven. And well, yeah, then there's the Panthers. Yeah. Uh, but you brought up the Baker Mayfield, and I remember this quote he had. Uh, he's definitely doing everything he can, and he is certainly not happy. Uh, you know, Mayfield said after the game, "quote Until everybody gets pissed off enough to get it fixed, there will be no changes. I know where I'm going to head at the end of this week. I'll get my job fixed and try to drag as many people." along as well close quote well you know what he's got to be honest to his teammates and that's and i don't really struggle with that too much because he's still trying to salvage the season good for him yeah i mean at least he's showing that leadership quality yeah sometimes you got to have those uncomfortable conversations Uh, now the question is is the team going to respond next week well and i think this is just another one of those fallouts from brady leaving where a lot of people followed brady and listened to what he did and went along with it because fucking tom brady yeah you know, so, but, and once that kind of, you know, bright, shining light in the room left, the, the room's awful dark. Mm-hmm. And somebody's got to step in there and change the light bulb and, and get it fixed again. And and Baker's trying his damnedest, but he's got a bunch of people messing with the stepladder he's trying to climb up to fix the uh, light bulb. Yeah, he's trying to do everything he can. Yeah. So, will he be successful? I don't know. Jury is still out, but yeah. at least he's trying to do it. But for the Colts, I mean, this is their story. Can they overcome the loss of Jason, or Jonathan Taylor for a couple weeks? I think they can. Could be. But we got to take a look at that schedule and kind of figure that out. Uh, so for their next couple of games, this upcoming Sunday, they are on the road playing the Tennessee Titans. Winnable. Week, week 14, on the road playing the Cincinnati Bengals. Very winnable. Uh, then week 15, they're at home playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm, not so much. Coin toss. Uh, and then week 16, on the road playing the Atlanta Falcons. So if he's out the two to three weeks, earliest he'd come back is Pittsburgh. Latest he'd come back is Atlanta. If if the two to three week timeline holds up, I think they can split that at least. So they yeah. should be okay. Yeah. I mean, if they could beat Tennessee, that's a bit. That's probably the game they really need to hone in on. Yeah. Uh, and then for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, this upcoming Sunday they are at home against the Carolina Panthers. Week fourteen on the road playing the Atlanta Falcons. Week fifteen on the road playing the Green Bay Packers, and then week sixteen at home against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Hmm. Well. Thanks for playing. Yeah, exactly. Let's try and find a nice way to spin it, but there really isn't. Thanks for playing. Much like the next game we're going to be talking about because this was my lock and on Thanksgiving. Holy shit. Unless they're facing the Buffalo Bills, Dallas usually has a great outing. Uh-huh. This was division. I showed no fear in my pick. Which you normally stay away from division. I usually do, but there's a lot of division matchups this week. Uh, especially the Thanksgiving ones. They were all division. Yeah, so I couldn't really avoid it, but this one... It just seemed like too easy of a pick, and sure enough, it was because Dallas showed up against a lesser team. Yes, they did. Let's get into that, shall we, Pat? Uh, So, yeah, the Dallas Cowboys defeated the Washington Commanders by a final score of 45-10. to Dak Prescott, 22-32, 331 yards passing, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, Sam Howell, 28-44, 300 yards passing, no touchdowns, one interception. Brian Robinson Jr. led the way in uh, rushing for Washington, 15 carries, 53 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, Dallas uh, For Dallas, it was Tony Pollard, uh, 13 carries, 79 yards, one touchdown. Uh, for receiving, it was Brandon Cooks leading the way with four catches, 72 yards, one touchdown. Uh, and then for Washington, it was Curtis Samuel with nine catches, 100 yards, no touchdowns. And, hey, got to give Dallas at least this at home. Uh, according to the folks over at Bleacher Report, Dallas hasn't trailed for a single 
second at home this year. Interesting. Which is like some Madden uneasy type shit. Well, you have to take a look at who they faced at home first. Mm-hmm. And I think that will be a bigger story going into that. Could be. Because the one thing that Dallas is doing that you brought up off air, but it's <laughs> it, it's the truth. Uh, it is. They very much follow the same pattern as Miami and Detroit. As good as Dallas is, and I can't take credit for this. I don't sit there and look at schedules and records and all this nonsense. I don't have that kind of free time. So I saw this, and I went, ooh, this is interesting. And and when you look at the Dallas Cowboys, definitely give them their kudos. They played very well this year. Mm-hmm. But you look at who they beat and what their record is, and you start to notice a trend. Yep. So let's run through this. I won't give out the scores and everything, just like who they faced and, and you know, and who this is specifically who they beaten. So they beat the New York Giants in week one, who the Giants currently have a record of four and eight. Uh, folks at home, put up a finger for every time I mention a team that is sub 500, so you should have one finger up right now. Then they beat the New York Jets, who currently have a record of four and seven. Then they beat the New England Patriots, who, well, enough said. Then they beat the Los Angeles Chargers, who currently have a record of 4-7. and seven. Then they beat the Los Angeles Rams, who currently have a record of 5-6. and six. Then they beat the New York Giants again, who, again, still five, below 500. Then they beat the Carolina Panthers, which, well, we know their record. And then they most recently beat the Washington Commanders, who are currently have a record of four and eight. How many teams is that, Ken? Eight. Uh, what is the Dallas Cowboys' current record? Eight and three. Eight and three. Those three now, just to be fair, those three losses. Uh, one is against the Arizona Cardinals, who they suck this year. Yeah. Uh, two and ten. Uh, one is to the San Francisco 49ers, who is, remind, refresh my memory, what place are they in in the NFC Conference? Number one. Number, number two. Oh, number two. Number, number two. one, my my uh, official pick, my, my number one. Uh, and then they beat the, or they lost to the Philadelphia Eagles. Everybody else is number one. The, the, the statistical number one. Yes. So every team they've beaten this year, sub 500. The teams they've lost to, with the exception of Arizona, because, you know, anomaly. Mm-hmm. But the other two losses, San Francisco, number two team in the NFC, uh, over well over 500. And then the Philadelphia Eagles, the number one team in the NFC, well over 500. Yeah. Mm. Well, this is a situation that is going to get exposed in the playoffs, I think. Uh-huh. It's very safe to say Dallas is going to the playoffs. Oh, yeah. I don't oh, think easily. Uh, currently, they are the number five seed in the uh, uh, NFC. Uh, and on wild card weekend, they would be playing the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, and if they host that game, that should be an easy one. Uh, currently, they uh, oh I don't know because Atlanta's the four. Eh, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll have to wait to see how it kind of matches we'll up. Wait, we'll wait and see. But in the, anyway, in the situation that we have, Dallas has taken advantage of the lesser teams, and, and it do, and it also doesn't matter because Atlanta's sub five hundred. Yeah, so they should whoop the shit out of them. Well, they should. I mean, the the thing is, they have a great defense this year. Yeah, they do with Dallas. Yeah, they do. and that offense is moving the ball. Albeit though, Dak is a lot better than people give him credit for. Uh huh. Tony Pollard did, you know, finally showed up in this game. Yeah, hey, uh, shout out to Ron Bland setting the NFL record for pick sixes in a year. Yeah, we mentioned that. Shit. Like I say, their defense is but what's been carrying them through this uh their wins. Well, when the team's not putting up 40 plus points. Right. But in this situation, their defense definitely helped move the ball in that direction. Like I said, yeah. Brandon Cooks had a great game, so yeah. CD Lamb. I mean, I'm still not ready to crown CD a true number 1, but that's no. me. God no. 
But they did what they needed to do. And on the flip side, I mean, Washington is still rebuilding. Yeah, Sam Howell's showing promise, but he's still very wet behind the ears. Yeah, and I think that he's going to have to have another year with Eric Bettemy to really get the most out of him. Robinson's not bad as a running back. You could probably do better, though. Right, I think that he's good for what they have now. But and, I, and you need an upgrade at receiving. I'm sorry, Curtis Samuel, nine catches, 100 yards, no, you know, no touchdown. That's a, that's a great stat line, but... When you think of guys you're drafting for, like, even you're not, not even your number one receiver in fantasy, mm-hmm. your number two or your number three or hell, even your first guy you're going to take off your bench on bye weeks to put in your fantasy lineup. Are you honestly saying, th- saying or thinking Curtis Samuel, uh, um, John, uh, Jahan Dotson, Terry McLaurin? I, I have to refrain because I actually have Samuel and McLaurin on my bench. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, so I, I yeah, I'm not. Uh, but did you draft them or was this like a mid, mid, fan, mid? No, this was late draft. Okay. Late, late okay. picks. Okay. Late picks. Okay. Well, just because, I mean, let's face it, this is where I kind of go back with Robinson right now. This team is not expected to be a contender. No. So, like I say, for what they have in, in the skill position, it's good for now, but they can definitely upgrade. Oh, yeah. And especially in the wide receiver thing. I mean, Terry McLaurin is a great wide receiver, but I think he's as good as gone next season. Probably. And then you have to kind of see what you have with everybody else. Well, and especially with the reports from Ron Rivera sounding like he's on the hot seat a little bit. Well, I think unfortunately he is. Yeah. Because I think the the problem is the expectations were after Dan Snyder was removed from the, the office leadership that they were going to bounce back and be true contenders. Getting Eric Bedemy coming over from Kansas City is a big win. But yeah. I, but I think it was just a matter of time before they if they weren't showing promise that, yeah, you were going to start hearing rumors that Rivera was going to be gone. And they were going to have Benami more than likely slide into that position, which which I think is the right call to do. Right. Um, I mean, obviously, I don't like seeing Rivera get fired by any stretch of the imagination because the one thing is, no matter how bad the team has been in Washington. They've rallied around him. They've rallied around him, and they play hard for him. Yeah. So, like I say, he'll he'll land somewhere else. And and I'll be honest, I don't remember where I had them placed when it came to preseason when we went through the standings and I, I I realize I type out our picks on a spreadsheet but I only do the I only do the division winners I don't have you know two. I think we all took them at three it could be so in all honesty four and eight they're currently sitting at where are they in the NFC East? okay so they're in the last place in the NFC East I mean even at four and eight that's overperforming because mm-hmm. you, you look at Sam Howell who bizarrely is leading the NFL in passing yards which fucking Bonkers. You know, but that doesn't surprise me too much. You got better me as your as your offensive coordinator. True, like I say, that, true. But yeah. when but when you've got guys like Curtis Samuel, Dotson, McLaurin, Cole Turner, Byron Pringle, Antonio Gibson, Logan Thomas, Deami Brown, like that's not who I'm typically thinking of in today's NFL. When I'm thinking like, all right, who what what receivers does the number one passer in the NFL have? Yeah, I'll I'll give you that. But I'm just saying, like I'm not too surprised because it's better me. Cause, right, because I mean, you take a look at what Kansas City had with Mahomes to start yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, I think Coach Duffy suited up for a couple games and, and caught some passes. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. But that's all I say. Like you, you do with more with less, so to speak. Uh huh. So I think with Howell, but the the only problem is nobody knows about this because guess what? They're losing. Right. So you got to kind of take the good and the bad and make something happen. Right. Uh, looking at these teams and their two schedules the next couple of weeks for those Dallas Cowboys this upcoming Thursday. Uh, they are on Prime Video playing the Seattle Seahawks. That's going to be a really good game. That'll be phenomenal. Uh, then next week, they are on Sunday Night Football at home against the Philadelphia Eagles. Hmm. Oh, boy. Hmm. Going to be some big numbers for that one. Hmm. Week 15 on the road. Prepare to freeze your ass off, Dallas Cowboys fans, because they're in Buffalo. 
bring the tables. Well, it's a four thirty. That's a four twenty five game. Yeah, it's gonna be a cold Mid, one. Mid December. Yeah, that's gonna be cold. It's gonna be cold. I'm here for this. But don't worry, they get to thaw out the next week because week sixteen, Christmas Eve, on the road in Miami. You know, that is going to be a better matchup than I think people are going to give credit for. That'll be fun. Great offense versus great defense. Yeah, oh, yeah. That'll be fun. That'll be like old school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then for the Washington Commanders, the next couple of weeks, uh, this upcoming Sunday, they're at home against the Miami Dolphins. Super late buy. Uh, they got a buy in week 14. Eesh. Yeah. Uh, week 15, they're on the road playing the Los Angeles Rams. And then week 16, on the road playing the New York Jets. Well, I mean, the Commanders, I think, just have to look for the offseason. Dallas, I mean, this is going to be a true test when they got Miami coming up in Philly. Right. I think that this is going to be a true litmus test about where they're going to rank for the playoffs. Right. Because right now, I mean, they're winning. Everybody's happy. But I think if they lose, hypothetically saying they lose both of those. Right. You're going to hear a lot more chatter about are they contenders or pretenders. Uh Uh-huh. That's the argument you're going to have for them moving forward. Right. It's kind of interesting to see how that all is set up. Mm Mm-hmm. So going to my last pick here, I went with the hot hand. Uh huh. I was like, you know what? The Miz has an intercontinental title shot against Gunther. <laughs> Logan Paul is a U.S. champion. Yeah. It's wrestling, but it's rubbing off on the city of Cleveland. They're winning with, I don't even know who is on that roster right now. Didn't I see something? Miles Garrett's like a minor owner in the Cleveland Cavaliers now or something crazy like that? I believe that? so. Something like that, yeah. yeah. So things are going good you know, behind the scenes in Cleveland. Right. Defensively, they're fine. Yeah. Offensively, hey. But they were going up against Let's Ride. Uh-huh. Who's a hot streak right now. Apparently a hot streak, and I thought Ooh. something's going to cool off here Ooh. for somebody. And sadly, I chose wrong. Pat? Yeah, the Denver Broncos won their fifth straight game in a row. Five-game winning streak right now for those Denver Broncos. Winning by the final score of 29-12. to Russell Wilson, 13-22, 134 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, or DTR, uh, went 14-29, 134 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. P.J. Walker also got some playtime, 6 for 13, 56 yards, no touchdowns or interceptions, although apparently the offensive line forgot to block him because he got sacked four times. Yeah. Uh, for Cleveland in rushing, Jerome Ford led the way with nine carries, 25 or 65 yards, excuse me, no touchdowns. Uh, for Denver, it was Javante Williams with 18 carries, 65 yards, no touchdowns. Touchdowns. And then for receiving, it was Cortland Sutton with three catches, 61 yards, and no touchdowns for Denver. For Cleveland, it was David Njaku, uh, six catches, 59 yards, and no touchdowns. That's right. Uh, Five-game five winning streak. Yeah, but I'm still not crowning them a playoff team. Okay. I'm sorry. Like, I am equ- uh, equating them uh-huh. to, like, Buffalo in a sense. Okay. That I think, yeah, they put some wins together, sure. Obviously, coming off the seventy-point uh, def- whooping, <laughs> the whooping uh, from Miami. Uh, like I say, I'm, I'm surprised they bounced back. I will give them that credit. But do I see anything on this team that scares me? If I'm going into the playoffs, and the answer is no. Right. Russell Wilson is getting by on you know little here and there, short passes. Sure. No, nothing really super crazy. Not putting up, I would say, like a tremendous stat line. Right. I mean, you take a look at here against the Browns, who have a great defense, 13 for 22, a buck 34 and a touchdown. Right. That's still not great because you were identical to DTR, uh-huh. 134 and 1. Right. So are you trying to say that you're on that same level? Like, I, right. For me, I just I don't see it. 
I don't see it happening. I mean, the concerning thing for me right now is is Cleveland's getting beat up a little bit. Uh, Miles Garrett is listed as questionable right now as we record. Well, as of yesterday, there's nothing for today. But on yesterday as we record, he was listed as questionable with, quote, head coach Kevin Stefanski said Monday that Garrett's left shoulder is sore and that he is day-to-day. Mary Kay Cabot of the Cleveland Plain Dealer reports. Um, Garrett, obviously, the leader and the anchor of that defense. Yeah. If you lose Garrett, yikes. Uh, and then obviously DTR took a hit in the game. It went down. PJ Walker stepped in. So now you got the question of is who's who's going to start your your game for you this upcoming this upcoming week? Because okay, is it going to be DTR who's listed as questionable, PJ Walker, or or are you going to take Joe Flacco off of your practice squad? If I'm the Browns, I take Flacco off the practice squad. Okay. I get, I get why they didn't play him this week. Yeah, I do too. Learning the offense and all this and that, you know, not everyone can come in and be a Josh Dobbs. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I if, if they're smart, in my opinion, you start him this week. You have to. I, I don't think you have a choice. Because the Browns are currently in the sixth seed in the AFC, uh, with a uh, one. Well, so they're seven and four. They're ahead of Indianapolis, who is at six and five. Oh, by the way, you've also got the Houston Texans there at six and five. And oh, by the way. The Denver Broncos are also there at six and five. Mm-hmm. I think you have to because I think he'd be the veteran that you need to run that offense. Yeah, and I think that for where they want to be, they're really going to be doing some boring football. Yeah, a lot of checkdowns. Yeah, you're going to have to or a streak with Amari Cooper and just huck it downfield. Well, you know that's going to be the question with this offense. I mean, Jerome Ford has been a good replacement for Nick Chubb. Yeah, but he's not lights out. No, Kareem Hunt flashes, but not. Fully back to Kareem Hunt of old. Uh, 89 carries this year, 286 yards rushing, six touchdowns. He's averaging 3.2 yards a carry. Yeah, so I would say not exactly a game changer. Nope. On um, And as far as your wide receiver core, I mean, Najoku is always great as, yeah, as your solid. tight end. Uh, other receivers in the game of notes, Cedric Tillman, four for 55. Elijah Moore, three for 44. Amari Cooper, two for 16. Jerome Ford also got some time in there. Four catches, 14 yards. Harrison Bryant, one for two. Uh, and David Bell got two targets but caught none of them. Yeah, so like I say, you're going to need somebody there to manage that game and just eat up the clock. Yeah. Flacco can do that a lot for of, you. A lot of checkdowns. Yeah. A lot of screens. That's all they should do because, you know what, the more that he can keep the ball moving, uh-huh. the longer their defense will not be on the field. And if Miles Garrett is not there, that is a win for them. Which is entirely possible. Yeah, because if he if he's not 100% or he can't play, they're going to need to keep the defense off the field as much as possible because he, right. he is, like you touched upon, he is the captain of that defense. Uh-huh. He is their complete heart and soul. If he's uh-huh. not there – this defense is going to look a lot different it's on Sunday. It's going to get real exposed. Yeah. Real quick. Yeah. Uh, and so looking at these two team schedules the next couple of weeks, up for the Denver Broncos this upcoming Sunday, they are on the road playing the Houston Texans. Week 14, on the road playing the Los Angeles Chargers. 15, on the road playing the Detroit Lions. And then week 16, Thursday night football. Uh, uh, excuse me. No, it's a... Uh, it's a Sunday. It's a Christmas Eve game. Sorry, I thought it was Thursday Night Football because it said NFL Network, uh, but it is on uh, again at home against the New England Patriots. Uh, and then for the Cleveland Browns, you've got they this upcoming Sunday. They are on the road playing the Los Angeles Rams. Week fourteen at home against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Week fifteen at home against the Chicago Bears. Week sixteen on the road playing the Houston Texans. 
It will be interesting for Cleveland moving forward, and even for Denver, too. Like I say, I'm not giving them a lot of credit right now. I mean, sure, they're a hot team, but uh-huh. considering who they faced, they've lucked into a lot of those wins. Yes. So I, I'm not ready to crown them. I'm sorry. I know that's like the hot pick this week. but You want to crown them? Crown their ass. Seriously. I mean, I, this is also a team that struggled at the beginning of the year. They put they put it together, but I still, yeah. I'm still not looking at them going like, oh, can you beat Kansas City? Maybe it was the ass whooping that really motivated them. Well, I think at that point you guys <laughs> you got to salvage something. I mean, to, yeah. if they came out flat again after that, I'd, I'd say it would be kind of like the, the Jets turmoil we've heard at the beginning of the year. Yeah. With a lot of, like I say, yeah. just kind of go back to that. It's just you heard a lot of that kind of same criticism of Denver. Yeah. In the same kind of vein of the stories like that were coming out. Like I say, yeah. you hear a lot of the same things, whether they're true or not. I mean, this is the, the narrative that comes out. Same thing with the Jets. So you have to kind yeah. of take that in stride. So we'll have to see what happens after mm-hmm. that. So let's take a quick lap around the league and finish the segment off. Uh, yeah, so you had the Green Bay Packers defeat the Detroit Lions 29-22. to Shout out, Fox Sports. Yeah. How you fuck that one up? Yeah, they messed that up bad. Uh, in case you don't know, every year after the game is over, a couple of folks on the winning team get to uh, partake in a turkey, eating a turkey on Thanksgiving. You know, it's a tradition they, they got going there. Uh, problem is this year, uh, Green Bay didn't get to eat said turkey with uh, Jordan Love even asking, "Hey, where's the turkey?" Mm-hmm. And Fox Sports gave the answer, "Oh, sorry, Greg Olson ate the wrong ate the wrong one. He ate the one you guys are supposed to eat. So there isn't a turkey." When it came out, no, Fox Sports was so confident Detroit would win, they had the logo of the Detroit Lions imprinted onto said turkey, uh... and didn't want to trot it out there when Green Bay ended up winning. Yeah, that's that's shout out Fox Sports. That's that's a faux pas, if you uh-huh. will, a very big faux pas. But you know what? All the Packers needed was love on Thanksgiving. And they and you know what? It's even worse. They like I said, they threw Greg Olson under the bus. Yeah, said he ate the wrong one. Ugh, just yep, bad. Uh, and then the uh, we obviously mentioned the Cowboys game, but then the other Thanksgiving Day game was the San Francisco 49ers defeating the Seattle Seahawks thirty-one to thirteen. Best team in football does it again. Uh, surprisingly shocked at how bad Seattle came out yeah. in that first half. Yeah, three G- points. Yeah, Geno Smith did not look good in that at, at all. I know that people are trying to say because he didn't get enough reps in. He's a pro player, folks. He's a pro player, and he's it's not a, his first year. Exactly. So I, I can't it's use not that his, It's not his first year in the NFL, and it's not his first year with the team. No, a statement win from the 49ers, though. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, then you had the Atlanta Falcons defeat the New Orleans Saints 24-15. to Who is Atlanta? What is Atlanta? Atlanta got a big win. Atlanta had a hell of a halftime show. Yes, they did. Ludicrous coming down from the rafters. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Yeah, this team fought back to win, and, you know, kudos to him, I guess. But Apparently, Jameis Winston cared more about rapping Ludacris than he did about winning the game. Yeah. Yeah, like I say. This you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, look up the video. Yeah, there's a whole video about there's it. There's a video. Yeah, this one was surprising, but Atlanta is still trying to make a run to win the the least popular dis- the division. Wor- the worst division in the NFL. Yeah, so it's kind of like uh, congratulations, I think. Yeah, yeah. So we'll have to see what they do if they, if they get into the playoffs, because I think – as of right now, I think yeah they're locked in. Uh, then you had the Pittsburgh Steelers defeat the Cincinnati Bengals sixteen to ten. No real shocker here. Joe Burrow's not there. I mean, there was really very small chance Cincinnati was going to win this one, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, for the Steelers, I mean, obviously with Matt Canada gone, they showed signs of life on the offensive side of the ball. Didn't hear anybody complaining about their roles this week. Yeah. <laughs> so that's always good. Yeah. Uh, then you had the Tennessee Titans beat the Carolina Panthers seventeen to ten. 
Well, unfortunately, this uh, cost Frank Reich his job. Cost Frank Reich his job. They also fired. I'm trying to find out what their specific job titles Was were. There Staley. we go. Uh, special teams, so this is from the article on CBSSports.com. Frank Eric, Reich era in Carolina is over. The Panthers have fired the head coach less than a full season into his tenure. The team announced Monday. Special teams coordinator Chris Tabor is now slated as the interim head coach and is addressing the team on Monday morning. Meanwhile, Jim Caldwell, who has who had been working as a senior assistant, moves into the special advisor role and will work with the offense uh, run by coordinator Thomas Brown. Uh, but also, what is it? They fired, what is it, Josh McCown got fired, and mm-hmm. I think there was somebody else that got fired? I think it was Deuce Staley. That's what it was. Yeah, they fired like three guys in one day. Well, I mean, Carolina had high hopes, but unfortunately, we knew they were going to be a problem. Yeah. I mean, we knew there was multiple problems, obviously. When you get the number one draft pick, you're not in a good place where, uh, as far as a franchise. I mean, prepare to ruin uh, Bryce Young's career. Yeah. Because this, this is now going to be his second head coach in – not even a full season, which is less than ideal for him. Well, I mean, that's that's the risk you take with the number one quarterback. I mean, that's you either land it or you don't, and it's always always a crapshoot. And unfortunately for Carolina, they thought they had the pieces around them. They didn't. No. And you're not competing at that high level. That I mean, clearly you're struggling. Clearly you're yeah. going to have to make some decisions in this offseason. season. Yeah. And, I mean, until you kind of develop an identity, I mean, unfortunately, this is going to be the stat quo for a couple seasons at least. I wasn't expecting them to win the division, and I wasn't expecting them to, you know, make a deep run in the playoffs or, hell, even win a Super Bowl. I was expecting more than one win at this point. Well, that's the whole thing. They should have more than one win, but Mm -hmm. you have nothing around Young. Thielen is just there, in my opinion. And you don't even have a number one. You don't even have a first round draft pick this year, right? Because you gave it away to the uh, Chicago Bears. Well, they went all in to go get you know Bryce Young, which I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh huh. But I think we all kind of said too, it's a very risky move. Yeah. So you you get you reap what you sow. I'm just looking to see, courtesy of Tankathon.com/NFL, mm-hmm. when the Carolina Panthers. Oh, good lord! They don't have a pick until the first pick of the second round. Yeah, they're going to be struggling. Yikes! Next season could be rough unless they pull some stuff off in the cap. I mean, uh-huh. that, that's just the honest truth. But well, and if memory serves, I think they gave up their first round next year as well. No, they yeah they gave up like four picks. Whoa! They 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 truly believed Bryce Whoa. Young was going to be the the franchise guy. Good lord. I mean, it's unfortunate. Kudos to the GM of Chicago. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, well, plus you got all those plus DJ Moore. Well, that's the whole thing. They were smart about it because Chicago knew they were going to be bad for a couple seasons. Uh-huh. And granted, they are not looking great, even though we'll get to them <laughs> in a sec. Yeah. But they were smart about what they could get. And like I say, they knew Carolina was going to go all in because yeah. they really wanted Bryce Young. Yeah. And now they got to live with that. Yeah. Uh, then you had the Jacksonville Jaguars defeat the Houston Texans 24-21. to well, this one was kind of a surprising win. I uh, yeah. really kind of set the the temp in the room, if you will, for C.J. Stroud, even though he had another great game. Yeah. So at the end of it, though, unfortunately, they took the loss. Jacksonville is sitting very, very comfortably at 8-3. and three. Yeah. The stat everybody's wondering, though, Christian Kirk, four catches, 89 yards, zero touchdowns. Eh, not bad. But this was a gritty win for Jacksonville. They needed to pull something like this off to get a little momentum. Uh, and like I say, going into the playoffs, this is something that if they're going to win that division, they got, they have to win games like this. Yeah, 
because yeah. Houston was very, very hot, hottest team in the league yeah. until they ran into them. So, like I say, I'll be a dull missed field goal when it comes down yeah, to it. Yeah, that doesn't help. It doesn't help matters doesn't either. Help. Uh, the L.A. Rams beat the Arizona Cardinals 37-14. to 14. Nothing really to talk about here. This one is – Somebody had to win. Somebody had to win. Carolina – or, I mean, say Arizona is just as bad as Carolina. Yeah, they are. So – Par for the course, just, I guess. Just need them to win a couple more games, please, mm-hmm. please for my sake. Yeah. Uh, then you had the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Las Vegas Raiders 31-17. to Surprised that this went the way it did, to be honest with you. I thought the Raiders looked great in the first half. Second half, though, Kansas City made adjustments. The Raiders did not counter. Well, a little bit of inexperience from Antonio Pierce. You're, yeah. you're going to get that. Oh, absolutely. Especially against the good teams. Absolutely. Like I say, I'm not faulting him as at all. I, I still believe he should be the head coach next season. Absolutely. Give him a season to see what he can do with this team. <laughs> knowing, knowing the Davises as we do, though, so it's leaning like it won't happen. Well, that's the whole thing. You never know. And I think he just needs to show how he's working with this team. And unfortunately against Kansas City, I mean, it's Kansas City. Yeah. They find ways to do this, unfortunately. Yeah. So... It is what it is, but I think the, in hindsight, though, this is a learning curve for Antonio Pierce, and that's the story you take home with that. Yeah. And then you had the Baltimore Ravens beat the uh, Los Angeles Chargers 20-10. to 10. <sighs> Ravens are contenders. Chargers are pretenders. Uh-huh. And, you know, for all the talk, the, everything quickly switched to Belichick to L.A. Yeah. Weird as that is. Yeah, right after this game. So oh, I, yeah. I'm still not sold on this idea. The Chargers, I think, are going to do a massive overhaul in the offseason. Oh, probably. As far, as far as coaching staff. so And rightfully so. I'm sorry. You have talent on both sides of the ball, and you're underproducing. Uh-huh. And this was a game in, in prime time. You should have at least contended more. I understand 10 points is maybe not a lot. Yeah. But still, you need to put on a big performance against a team that arguably is the best in the AFC. Yep. And sadly, you did not. Then on Monday Night Football, you had the Chicago Bears beat the Minnesota Vikings 12-10. to you know, this game, I got to say. Stinker. To put it mildly, what has been the biggest story with Minnesota? Josh Dobbs mm-hmm. came in there, first game with the Minnesota Vikings, didn't even know the receivers' names. Right. Still won the game. Mm-hmm. Came back week two, won the game. Mm-hmm. This game? Yeah. Right. And how, Four interceptions. And how quickly certain sports media and fans – and opinions uh-huh. switched yeah. immediately after this game. Well, that's because the clock struck midnight on Cinderella. Yeah. like I, All of a sudden, it ain't the sexy thing anymore. All of a sudden, yeah, he, he shouldn't be in the league. You know, like I, I was they reading. Gotta, they got to assess who their quarterback's going to be. Exactly. Like, I'm sorry. First and foremost is division. We say this all the time. Uh-huh. Secondly, everybody acted like this was the game that knocked them out of the playoffs. I don't think so, but I think what happened is the Cinderella story came back to earth. Josh Dobbs, who everybody was saying, well, if he's still with Cleveland, they wouldn't be in the problems they have right now. Right. I think, unfortunately, Dobbs <clears throat> is, is getting recognized for being the, the quarterback he is. He wasn't going to be the next Brock Purdy. Right. He wasn't going to be the next Tom Brady. He is a very serviceable quarterback in the backup position, Yeah. in my opinion. And this is not a shot against him. It's just on his ability that we've seen. And sure, he's won a couple great games. But this was a very bad loss for him. Four interceptions against a team that is very, very bad. Uh-huh. So the question mark is going to be now what happens moving forward with him. He needs to bounce back. He needs to show a great game. But I just had to go, everybody was anointing him as going to be the savior in Minnesota. 
and take them to the Super Bowl or take them deep in the playoffs. And immediately after this game, everybody jumps ship. Well, the thing that's going to help him this week is Justin Jefferson's coming back. Mm-hmm. He's been taken off IR. He's currently listed as questionable. Uh, but they've got Minnesota's got a bye week this upcoming Sunday, so the, it won't be until next week where they come back. But that's going to help him a lot because Justin Jefferson has not played since uh, October 8th against Kansas City. Yeah, no, that's he, should... he has not played in a month and a half. That should help tremendously. Now, if they, for whatever reason, choose to not stick with Josh Dobbs, here are their backups. you got Nick Mullins as their second-string quarterback, uh, is in his fifth season out of Southern Miss, has not completed anything this year, hasn't even played a game this year, uh, in the regular season, I should say. Uh, And then their third-string quarterback is a rookie out of BYU from the fifth round uh, by the name of Jaron Hall, uh, who for this season has 101 yards passing, no touchdowns, no interceptions, and has a QBR of 28.1. He's played in two games, uh, one against, uh, first of which against the Green Bay Packers, second of which against the Atlanta Falcons. He has completed eight attempts, or eight passes on ten attempts. Hmm. So, not a whole lot to go on. No, definitely not. So. So, so, unless you want to go out there and you want to get, like, Matt Ryan out of the CBS broadcasting booth, or you want to go find some other free agent quarterback that's currently available, on real fucking short notice, you're stuck with what you got. Exactly. So I would say just rally around him if I'm the team and say, okay, well, let's bounce back. It was a bad game. Everybody Skull. has him. Goal. Exactly. That's what they need to do. But I just had to go for everybody that's anointing him as going to be the savior of Minnesota. Everybody jumps ship real fast after that uh-huh. game. Real fast. Uh-huh. And it's like pump the brakes, folks. It's a bad game. Everybody has him. Yep. So let us get into our team's. We don't got to dwell on the Patriots too long. They lost 10-7. Uh, they're red right now 2-9. and nine. They have basically got a top three draft pick all but locked up. Uh, going again, tankathon.com slash NFL. Uh, the number one pick is Chicago by the way of Carolina. They record 1-10, win percentage of 0.91. Strength of schedule of 513. Uh, and then in second place, you've got Arizona, record of 2-10, and 10, win percentage of 167. Strength of schedule is a 560. Patriots from third place, two and nine, win percentage one eighty two, and a strength of schedule five thirty six, uh, and they got a little bit of breathing room with Chicago having picked up the win on uh, this past Monday. So Patriots got at least a top three draft pick. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, but yeah, if you willingly watch this game from start to finish, who hurt you? Yeah, exactly. Tommy oh. Tommy DeVito though, we'll give him a shout out. A though. shout out to whoever chose to play the Sopranos team yes. when he was getting introed. Love it. Genius. Absolutely love everything about this. Uh which DeVito uh seventeen for twenty five, one ninety one and one touchdown. Yeah. Kudos. Yeah. And then last but not least. Oh boy. So this is all we really need to say about the Bills uh, Eagles game. Let me run through the stats. Let me give the, yep. let me give the do. Uh, Eagles beat the Buffalo Bills thirty seven to thirty four. And what I will say for the like f- final bit of the game, I saw was thrilling. Uh, Jalen Hurts uh, eighteen to thirty one, two hundred yards passing, three touchdowns, one interception. Josh Allen twenty nine to fifty one, three hundred and thirty nine yards passing, two touchdowns, one interception. Uh, Josh also led the team in rushing with nine carries, 81 yards, two touchdowns. DeAndre Swift led Philadelphia in rushing with 14 carries, 80 yards, no touchdowns. Oh, by the way, Jalen Hurts, 14 carries, 65 yards, two rushing touchdowns. So he had five touchdowns overall on the day. Uh, And then for receiving, it was Devontae Smith leading the way, seven catches, 106 yards, receiving with one touchdown. Gabe Davis led the way for Buffalo with six catches, 105 yards passing, one touchdown. Also, Stephon Diggs, six for 74 with one touchdown. 
So the easiest way to really describe this is one bad team play. Okay. Uh, the Bills had opportunities when you're up seventeen to seven at halftime, and you let Philly get back into it. There's a letdown on defense somewhere. Okay. Uh, Tyler Bass, two for four for field goals. Yeah, that'll hurt you. That hurt. That also, hurt. also got a question, and I didn't see this, but I saw some people bring it up online. Uh, McDermott, you might want to rethink when you run prevent defense. Yes. That is also where it goes back to the same Bills problems. Sean McDermott trying to do the defensive calls on top of being head coach. Yet again, strikes again. I'm sorry. Like, I know I just butchered the words there. I'm trying to remain very, very calm. But let's face it. This is the same hiccups we have. Yeah, it's sounding like a broken record. Unfortunately, yes. Because when it came down to overtime, Philly marched down the field like no problem. Yep. And there was no answer, no pressure, no nothing. And I'm sorry. If you're relying on Josh Allen, who threw a great pass at the end zone, but Gabe Davis ran the wrong route, then I'm sorry. Like You guys have to bounce back and make a stop. They did everything they could to score for the Bills to put you in that position. The defense, unfortunately, just let them come right down the field. Like It was like the air let out of the room. That is the problem there. And as far as the officiating goes, it was bad overall. Primarily, though, on the Bills getting a lot of no calls, especially when your jersey is ripped off. Right. Like it was old school pro wrestling. Right. And you're not getting a call. In fact, one uh-uh. egregious one is it should have been a horse collar tackle, but Josh Allen was called for intentional grounding. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, I am not the brightest bulb in the box. Occasionally, I do shine. <laughs> How the hell is he doing that, ripping his own shirt to ground the ball? Yeah. And I'm sorry, when you have every commentator on sports media saying the same thing that it needed to be looked at, you had the ref look at him and like not even blink his eye at yeah. the shirt, that's a little suspect. Not excusing it, but I will say the ref you know, accuracy on intentional grounding the last couple of years, very suspect. Oh, yeah, very suspect. Not just this year, the last couple. Oh, no, completely. No, the officiating overall this season, in my opinion, has been very, very troubling. Uh, and I looked up the stats. You brought up uh, Buffalo's defense letting a march right down the field. So for the Philly possession in overtime, which ended up winning the game, they had nine plays, uh, and of those plays, Jalen Hurts only missed two passes. Yeah. That's what I like, said. Like, it's literally, like, pass... Uh, completed pass, uh, eight yards. Completed pass uh, for four yards. Incomplete pass to to Brown. Pass completed to for seventeen yards. Run for seven yards. Incomplete pass. Timeout by Buffalo. Then you had a completed pass for eleven yards. Completed pass for sixteen yards. And then you had the uh, game winning touchdown. Which can we talk about that for a whole second? How the f- fuck did they fool the shit out of Buffalo that badly on that final play? Because literally your entire defense went one way and he ran the other way. I'm sitting there watching and I'm screaming at the television going, he's going to run this right up the middle. Uh Uh-huh. And it wasn't the tush push or whatever they're calling that. Brotherly shove. Yeah, yeah, brotherly shove. No, like legitimately, he got, I'm like, I'm sitting there with my mom who I'm watching with. Right. And she's even going, he's going to run the ball, isn't he? I'm like, yep, he's going to run it right up the middle. Yep. Like nothing. Yep. And sure enough. 
And this is the problem that they were relying so much. Like they played such a great game for three quarters. Yeah. But that fourth one, they just they collapsed. Seventeen points by Philly in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And you can say what you want about the Josh interception. Like, listen, I'm not going to focus that much on it because guess what? If they had a couple calls that went their way, would have been a different story. The refing was. I think we can both agree. The refing was bad on both. Oh, sides. absolutely, because there was an atrocious. Philly roughing the passer call on Josh, who was flopping worse than LeBron. Oh yeah, no, no. Sorry, Bills fans, it's true. Oh, I'll give you that. I will. I might be the only member of Bills Mafia to say that. Yeah, no, that was a flop. Oh, it was a complete flop. But you know what? They gave him that call, which I was again going, "Why are you giving him that call? You shouldn't." Yeah. But my only problem I had with the officiating overall is if you're having jerseys ripped off like '80s pro wrestling. Yeah. And you saw this with Diggs. And you saw this with Josh. Right. You have to make those calls, especially if they're scoring plays. <clears throat> like, I'm sorry, it might not be the popular decision, but especially that late in the game, somebody's got to make that call. Right. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. The Bills are now sitting at 6-6. Six and six. Playoffs, let's be honest, they need a lot of luck to get they in. They would need a lot of help. But I'm, not, but I'm not banking on it because, honestly, I don't think they've earned it. Unless they ran the table from here on out. To do it, but I know they got the bye this week. Kansas City right after Philly or not Philly. Um, I'll, pull, I, I'll pull it up. Yeah, thank you. Because I'm pulling up the playoff schedule as well. So the, for the playoffs, the Buffalo Bills currently in tenth place, record of six and six. They've got the Denver Broncos, Houston Texans, and Indianapolis Colts ahead of them. Uh, for the schedule, the remainder of the year, they've got the bye week this week, as you mentioned. After that, on the road in Kansas City, at home against Dallas, on the road against uh, the Chargers. Then they've got. At home against the Buff, the New England Patriots, and on the road in Miami. Yeah, I mean they have a very tough schedule. Uh huh. So, like I say, they, for them to run it at this stage, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. I'd love to see it, but let's be honest. I like they, being. They need a lot of help. I, I like living in reality. Den- Denver's on a five game winning streak. Houston's playing very above above average for where we expected them. Mm-hmm. And Indianapolis, same thing. Yeah, I mean I'm not jumping ship, mind you, but I'm being very very honest about this. The Bills season is arguably done. Like, if I have to put a percentage on it, sure, it's 85%. They're done. Mathematically, they're still in it, but right. but realistically. Yeah, and like I say, I blame this more so on this game. Your defense, unfortunately, lets you down. Right. I think Josh played a very good game. Yeah. Sure, one bad pass, but it. I don't think that that's what broke everything. I mean, you look at it, It's it, offensively, it's not a bad game. You know, 339, two touchdowns, one interception from Josh, only got sacked the one time. Uh, you know, and then you got the run game, which 130, 173 yards total rushing uh, from one, two, three, four uh, gentlemen, uh, Josh, James Cook, Latavius Murray, Ty Johnson. And then the receiving game was, was fairly decent, too. I mean, we mentioned Davis and Diggs, James Cook, 57 yards receiving, Khalil Shakir, 47 yards receiving, Dalton Kincaid, 38, Latavius Murray had 18. You know, so it's only the one issue you got there is, you know, is the, uh, what is it, the interception. Mm-hmm. And then obviously you had the fumble from Shakir, but it, it looks like it was recovered. Yeah, I mean that's the whole point. But they so had, offensively good, but there again, defense is the issue. Yeah, defense and, defense was the issue, and you cannot have a defensive lapse at all when it comes to playing Philly, especially at home. Yeah, Philly at home. I mean, let's face it. In my opinion, we're setting up for Kelsey Bowl 2.0. Could be. Although we got, hey, listen, we got to give credit to that fucking kicker for Philly. Uh, who the hell was that guy? Uh, oh, Jake Elliott. Yeah, Jake Elliott. The fucking stones on that kid to make that kick and to send it into overtime. Mm-hmm. Holy shit! Yeah, like, I'm sitting there watching with my fiance, going, "There's no way he's gonna make this." Yeah, I'm like, the the conditions are just too fucking awful, and he still fucking made it. 
Damn. Yeah, I'd say right. Damn. Now, I'd say right now how things are going. Like I say, I'm I'm not doubting we have a Kelsey Bowl 2.0. But then again, we still have a long way to go till we get to the playoffs. Uh huh. So in the meantime, hit us up on the hashtag hashtag #OdPagePod. What is your takeaways from Week 12 of the NFL Thanksgiving Week? How's your team doing? Let's talk about it. But we're going to take a quick break first. We'll be right back. You ever wondered what comics Mark from Vale of Mai is into? What Zach from Left Behind's favorite MCU movies are? Well, Metalcore Nerds is the show for you. My name is Sean Mott, and here at Metalcore Nerds, we cover the latest things in pop culture, whether it be Star Wars, Marvel, DC, AEW, and everything else in between. You can listen to the show every Monday on Adobe Howl at 7 p.m. Eastern or find it anywhere you find podcasts after it debuts on the radio station. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And man, oh man, oh man, there is a lot of storylines coming out of WWE Survivor Series Hall Games. Holy shit. Taking place this past Saturday in Chicago. And there is a lot to break down. The ripple effect is still being felt to this day. Three days later, as we were uh-huh. recording, Pad, I know you got some stats behind this. Yeah, so this comes to us via the fine folks over at WWE, uh, and this is a, in the form of a press release, and it says, quote, uh, WWE, part of TKO Hold- Group Holdings, today announced that Survivor Series, which emanated from Allstate Arena in Chicago, set new records for the highest viewership, largest gate, and best merchandise sales in the event's 37 years year history viewership for survivor series was up 44 percent versus the previous record set in 2022 with 17,138 in attendance the event broke previous survivor series gate record set by brooklyn in 2021 in partnership with Fanatics, Survivor Series broke the premium live events all-time merchandise record. Sponsorship rev- revenue was up 24% versus 2022. And there's one more bit, but we'll get to that later in, yeah. later in the pay-per-view. The other thing, and I got to look up this number, I think this had a bigger attendance record attendance than WrestleMania 22, which was in the same goddamn building. Uh, let's pull it up. Yeah, 17 Oh, it was close. So WrestleMania 22 in the same damn building, the Allstate Arena in Rosemont, Illinois, 17,155. This one, 17,138. So they came close to beating WrestleMania, which well, is insane. It's insane, but knowing the circumstances going into this. Right. There was a lot of anticipation, a lot of anxiousness amongst the wrestling community uh-huh. about possibly who would be showing up, what would be going on. And obviously, it elevated this card from not only being a premium live event to a must watch event, but to a must watch event that really tapped into a lot more fans that, let's face it, arguably would not have watched the show. Yeah. Let's, let's be honest. Like they still, yeah. they still got great ratings, but. Yeah. The added intrigue of this yeah. definitely was something that had a lot of people glued to their seats. Absolutely. But let's break down this card, give you our reactions to this. So, Pad, let's kick it off. Yeah, so the first match that took place on this card was the women's War Games match, which was uh, Team Bianca Belair with Bianca Belair, Charlotte Flair, Shotzi, and Becky Lynch taking on Damage Control in Bailey, Asuka, Eosky, and Kairi Sane uh, with Dakota Kai there at uh, ringside. Uh, and in 33 minutes and 35 seconds, Team Bianca Belair emerged victorious. I got to say, right now, my favorite match of the night. This match was insane. This match definitely raised the bar. It set, It was a great pace setter. Yes. Because, let's face it, whenever you do wall games, 
you know that you want to steal the show. You know you want to make that presence known. Uh-huh. And I thought the women's war game match absolutely killed it. I'll say EO recreating the, the garbage can spot from the top of the war games cage. Uh, uh, not Oscar Charlotte doing the moonsault from the top of the cage. Holy shit. There was a lot of spots that were happening here that were just absolutely wild. EO Sky always, always steps it up for war games. Oscar and Dakota Kai fucking with the Chicago crowd who five minutes into the show is chanting, we want tables. So Oscar pulls out a kendo stick. Boo! Pulls out another set of kendo sticks. Boo! Her and Dakota Kai are laughing. And then they finally pull out the table. Yeah. They definitely were feeding off the crowd's energy. Everybody in this match absolutely killed crowd it. crowd was hot from the get-go. Well, Chicago is always a hot crowd, though. Yeah. No, no matter where you go in there for wrestling, that crowd is going to show up, and they were making their presence known. And every performer was feeding off that in this match. Uh-huh. I thought Bailey was the MVP of this. Absolutely. Obviously telling the bigger story going on with her in damage control. And when it was all said and done, obviously Becky, uh, Charlotte, Bianca, and Shotzi won. But the big story is what was going to happen with damage control coming out of this. Uh-huh. And this, like I said, damn near perfect match, just kicking everything off. Phenomenal match. Next up was a singles match for the WWE Intercontinental Championship. Uh, and you had Gunther defeat Miz via submission in 12 minutes and 20 seconds to retain his Intercontinental Championship. This match was better than I thought it was going to be. I, I, I was surprised, too, because, you know, Gunther's matches are good. But they've been kind of, meh, you know, middle of the road for me. Not great, not bad. I I thought, and I had this idea creep into my head, you know, when they were kind of previewing the match and getting ready to go. Where, obviously, the last couple of weeks with with uh, Imperium, you've had the, you know, Giovanni Vinci and Ludwig Kaiser have been on the outs, you know, on separate occasions. And and the most recent of which is Ludwig Kaiser. So I had this idea popping in my head of like, well, what happens if in an F, like, you know, Gunther's on the outs, he's looking like he's going to lose. So then Ludwig Kaiser comes out to try and help him, and he ends up costing Gunther the match. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that could be a decent ending, which didn't happen, but, you know, solid match, though. Yeah, a very solid match. I mean, this proves, once again, Miz is an MVP or Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. He does the little things here, and definitely he sold this match as he could win. Had the crowd believing he was going to win. Mm-hmm. And, and him and Gunther, like I said, I love the chemistry they had. Yeah. They definitely were telling a great story. This was the insurmountable odds. Could he overcome it? Eventually he couldn't. And they definitely told a great story as Gunther retains and carries on you yeah. know, setting a record for the Intercontinental title. Yeah. And I think this just helps the prestige of the belt, too. Yeah, yeah. Because obviously... I still think it's either going to be L.A. Knight, yeah, or Jey Uso who takes the belt from him eventually. Okay. Okay. And, and I think that th- it could happen at Royal Rumble, to be honest with you. It could be. Just throwing that could out there. could be. Uh, next up was a singles matchup where Santos Escobar, Escobar excuse me, defeated Dragon Lee via pinfall in 7 minutes and 40 seconds. Now, obviously, as we previewed last week, this matchup was supposed to be Santos Escobar versus Carlito. Mm-hmm. Uh, antics ensued on Friday night where Carlito got taken out. Dragon Lee stepped up. According to reports, it was always the plan for Dragon Lee to be the opponent. Yeah. Why they chose to announce Carlito, if they were, and then even have him on promo material, if he was never, you know, so going to be the eventual opponent. I don't know. I don't work in WWE, uh, but those are what the reports are. But nonetheless, this matchup better than I expected because I went in with low expectations. See, here's the thing. I think this was only to tell the better story. Okay. Because Carlito coming back 
against Santos, that's going to be a storyline. That's yeah. going to be a feud. That's going to be something. Yeah. yeah. It's also going to be interesting when Ray comes back. Right. And it has to face Santos and then whatever they set up with the L- what appears to be the LWO Civil War. Right. But I think what they did here is they did a couple things really right. Okay. I mean, obviously, establishing Santos Escobar to the WWE universe as a true heel. Uh-huh. Perfectly done. I think Real I, great. everything they've been doing here with him has been absolute money. But with Dragon Lee 2, he has been somebody that they can definitely bring up to the main roster, and they, they gave him a perfect opponent to showcase his skills. Yeah. And they were putting in, for the amount of time they got, they got a lot in. Like yeah. That's the big takeaway here. And it definitely did not feel like the, you know, it, for lack of a better term, the piss break match. Sure. Because the you food know, break, yeah, the food break, you know, like, yeah, like, you know, there's, how, always, there's always at least one where you're like, you don't really care, yeah, you can go get some food, go run to the bathroom, yeah, yeah. like I say, that's always kind of referred to as the match that nobody really cares about. And this yeah. one didn't have a lot of detailed story, but I'll tell you what, if you missed this match, you missed a lot, uh huh. This was great, it was a good match, and like I say, this only extends the feud because if they want to bring Dragon Lee up to the main roster, which I think they're they're more or less teetering with, that's what it sounds like, yeah, this is a great showcase for him, it got him over with that crowd, yeah, and now. I don't doubt they run this back at some point. I could see it. And depending on what they want to do with the LWO, I mean, I think Dragon Lee would be a perfect addition to that storyline. Yeah. Next up was a singles match for the the Women's World Championship with Rhea Ripley defeating Zoe Stark and retaining her championship via pinfall in 9 minutes and 15 seconds. Uh, I think Michael Cole put it best. Yes. Rhea Ripley is a superstar. Uh Uh-huh. And I think that everything you saw from her in this match solidified that. Yeah. I mean, she is arguably one of the biggest superstars in all of pro wrestling, not just WWE. Well, and especially, like, you need to set up those stars for the future because, let's face it, I mean, Charlotte is coming up on, and and Charlotte, Becky, are coming up on 10 years being on the main roster, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and even longer when you factor in their NXT days. You know, Becky's obviously a mother, Charlotte Flair, you know, who knows what her personal aspirations are in her personal life. But let's face it, no matter what those are, these, these folks aren't around forever. Yeah. So you need to have that next generation, that next class ready to go so that it's not a waiting period. It's not a holding period of, well, we know this is the next person, but they're not quite there yet. They need a couple little more fine-tunements, a little, little adjustment here, a little you know, coat of paint there, and then they'll be perfect. No, like Rhea Ripley is there. Mm-hmm. She is ready. That If and when Charlotte Flair det- decides to take some time away or ultimately retire whenever that is, mm-hmm. I figure it won't be until after she beats her father in, in terms of uh, world championship wins. But whenever that happens, WWE doesn't have to worry about that next mega star because Rhea Ripley is it. Well, the one great thing WWE has right now is their women's division is so deep. Uh-huh. Like, crazy deep it's insane and, and it's amazing too because they have just a plethora of superstars that can come up to the main roster at any moment yeah and make an impact yeah and Rhea is definitely right now at the top because she has just really transcended into just into pop culture like she's now I, i'm just i'm almost saying like teetering on that line of like uh like a Seth Rollins or even like when Roman. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, if memory serves, she's the most followed WWE superstar on TikTok. Yeah. Like I say, she's now transcending into that next level. Yeah. It's amazing to see everything she's doing. Everybody, the the crowd stops and you watch and and she just captures the audience. Yeah. And like I say, that's very few superstars can do that as well as she's doing right Uh now. Uh-huh. 
And for this match with Zoe Stark, I, I've said Zoe Stark has always had the physical tools. The charisma thing she's working on, like the mic skills. Sure. But if you put her in the ring with Rhea, like they told a great story. Zoe impressed me very much, though. So. Yeah, and that's the whole thing. I think we all knew that they weren't going to take the belt no, off Rhea. No, no. Uh, not at this stage. It was it was a good exhibition for Zoe, though. Yeah, absolutely. But this definitely won a lot of fans over for Zoe. She absolutely killed it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, Rhea retains, and that's mm-hmm. the right call. Yeah. Uh, and then we get to the main event, which was the men's. War Games match, uh, which was Team Cody in Cody Rhodes, Seth freaking Rollins, Jey Uso, Sami Zayn, and a returning Randy Orton going up against the Judgment Day in Damian Priest, Finn Balor, Dirty Dominic Mysterio, and J.D. McDonough with Drew McIntyre in their corner. Uh, and obviously the storyline going in with this, you know, it's it's Judgment Day with uh, Drew McIntyre who wanted to take Jay Uso's head off like it's a friggin' it's his job. Mm-hmm. Then you got Randy Orton returning, and and they kind of played this up throughout the night. Oh, he's not here. Oh, where is he? Oh, don't worry, he'll be here. Oh, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? They go to st- they go to get ready to leave for the walk out for the match. Still not there. You go through the match, going back and forth. Obviously, Judgment Day having the advantage. You know, Team Cody kind of getting their shit kicked in a little, mm-hmm. little bit here, and the, and you get to that final three minutes. You know, and then the, the timer runs out. Oh, where's Randy supposed to come out? Oh, Randy's not there. And then Rhea Ripley's music hits, and she runs out. And I can't help but wonder if they decided to do this after reading the internet, because I know the internet was speculating a bit. Would Damian Priest try to cash in in this match? Because Rhea Ripley runs out. Referee in tow, money in the bank briefcase in tow, ready to cash in for Damian Priest to take on Seth Rollins. And she's got the briefcase. She's got the ref. They're over at, They're over by uh, the timekeeper's area. She's talking to the ref and like, oh, yeah, he wants to cash in. And then Randy Orton's music hits. Mm-hmm. And in what was the biggest pop of the night to that point, Randy Orton comes back, makes his triumphant return, looking jacked as hell yeah he looked amazing randy what's your workout regimen i want to know jesus christ uh but so randy comes in looking uh to borrow the phrase from michael cole looking like vintage randy orton uh hitting the hitting that like draping ddt the fucking rko on jd mcdonough he did towards oh the end my of the god insane uh, that's certainly top three rkos of all time you can't tell me otherwise uh, but at the end of the day, in 34 minutes and 50 seconds, you had Team Cody emerge victorious, winning via pinfall. Great storytelling. Yeah. Top to bottom. I mean, the Judgment Day has really filled in that role for the bloodline about being must-watch TV, especially yeah. on Monday night, the fact they get their own show. I think it is a true testament about the work that Finn, Damian, Dom, and Rhea have put in. Yeah. And really are running with the ball that's given to them. And teasing about the title uh, cash-in, I mean, everybody's waiting on it. I can't help but wonder, though, if, if they saw that on the internet. Like, hey, you know what? Why don't we throw that in there? No, I think that was all part of the plan to begin with. Okay. I, I really do, okay. because you know, they were teasing about Randy and when he wasn't there and how he's going to react and the storyline with him and Jey Uso, which I loved when Randy was in there and kind of gave him the, the pause, like, I owe you one. Like, hey, I haven't forgotten. Yeah, like, I have a receipt for you. Uh-huh. I loved how they played that off. It's the little psychology stuff that Randy does. And the one thing, too, other than looking amazingly jacked. Jesus Christ. He looked like he was having fun. Oh, yeah. And he was he's genuinely he was happy. He's genuinely happy to be back. And, I mean, especially, too, when you think about when you're told your career is over. Potentially. And it's out of your, yeah, out of your hands. 
I think for him to bounce back like this was a great moment to do. Yeah. And obviously how the they wound up pulling it off, I said, with the, one of the wildest RKOs you're ever going to see in your life. Like, they set it up. I'm like, there's no way they're going to do this. And kudos to J.D. McDonough. Uh-huh. MV, M, uh, Co-MVP of this match. Yeah. he he. I tell you what, he fills in that Dolph Ziggler role for so, bumping. Somebody needs to. Like, Dolph ain't there no more. Yeah. But, no, he did great. And then the match ends. Yep. The crowd is kind of still, like, Woo. Buzzing about what happened. You Cody, might, Cody's music is playing. Yep, Cody's music is playing, so it's adrenaline in your soul. So, something, something. Cody, Cody Rhodes. Rhodes. So it's kind of doing the wide camera shot. Folks, we told you so. Yeah. Because the camera watch out. I re- actually read online, some people said they turned the stream off at this point. Oh, some people did because they Sh- throw the logo on. Shame on you. You haven't watched yeah. Triple H booking very long, have you? Mm-hmm. Because they, they, it's that wide shot of the entire arena, you know, in the ring. And, and the tight and the video board that's over the ring and the logo for the copyright flashes down at the bottom right of the screen, which typically tells you the end of the end of the show. But again, when again, for those of you who might have turned it off, take this in mind when Triple H is running the show, as we know from NXT days, because this same shit happened with Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano in the same goddamn building, yep. same goddamn building whose music hits cult of personality. Yes. C.M. Punk walks out in the building. I mean, uh, first and foremost. Holy fuck. Yeah. Uh, taking the victory lap on this one. Yeah. Because did we not say that last week? You said it. I w- yeah. I just, again, I know it's been said a lot by, by Triple H and Michael Cole and WWE. I never thought this would happen. I, I this was a literally, like, I literally sat there, watched it happen. My jaw dropped. I dropped my phone and my remote simultaneously, and I said, oh, my God, hell froze over. Mm -hmm. Because with everything that has happened between CM Punk and WWE over the course of nine years, he's been away from the company for nine, almost ten years, and he... uh, the time in between his appearances was 3,421 days Mm -hmm. with the company. There's a lot of baggage that came with those days. Oh, let's be honest. A lot of shots taken at WWE... The lawsuit, the podcast on with Colt Cabana, it's a lot of shit. I figured there's, I, I realize it's never say never, and we saw a lot of instances over the years of guys coming back that we never thought would. Ultimate Warrior, Bruno San Martino, mm-hmm. you know, having Brett and Sean hug it out in the middle of the ring and, and forgive each other for what happened after the Montreal screw job. This is one, though, that I'm like, he didn't just burn that bridge. He took napalm and annihilated it. There's no way. I was wrong. Here's the thing. When CM Punk, arguably the most polarizing wrestler in recent memory. The the two generations that are in the ring right now, he is. Mm-hmm. You can argue other gender, past generations, but for the generations in the ring right now, he's the most polarizing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, his departure from WWE was very, very messy, to put it mildly. And public. And very public. Like There's a lot of dirt throne <laughs> uh, if the podcast still isn't up on whatever podcasting platform you use you can guaranteed find it on youtube yeah you can you can definitely track it down and he took he walked away yeah he, he left wwe in a very very bad place uh as far as he was concerned he yeah. was like i didn't want to be here anymore and he took yeah. his ball and went home disappeared for a while went to the ufc yeah um for a quick cup of coffee Two fights, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah. And then he started getting the wrestling bug again. And then uh, a little over a year, two years ago, went to AEW. Yeah. 
much to a lot of fanfare. And unfortunately, things just did not work out. I mean, it, everything led to Brawl Out. Yeah. Which, if you haven't seen the uh, post uh, AEW All Out press conference, that is still online. Uh, you can find summary videos online. I know there's somebody who did a animation of it in a South Park style, mm-hmm. which is only about a minute and a half. So that'll give you the information you need. Or I recommend the Cultaholic video that they did, which covers it in about nine and a half minutes. Yeah, which I mean, not but, super long. No, but he was gone from the company along with the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. And yeah. that was a whole mess. And yeah. then he did return. Yeah. And then unfortunately, there was a lot more drama going on there as well. Yeah. And it all came to a boiling point. It Tony all, Khan feared for his life. Yeah, as the reports were saying. And he was gone from AEW once again after uh, the Wembley show. Yeah. And nobody really knew about his future. Uh, according to reports, uh, Impact were felt they were real close in signing him. According to reports. Well, you know, the thing about it is... I'm sure that what he did, because if, if also if memory serves, there were reports he was backstage. Oh yeah, for what was it, Bound for Glory? Yeah, and and some of the tapings as well. Well, I'm sure that what he did is he went around after he got out and depended how he wanted to do this, and this kind of goes into his uh, Monday Night Raw speech. Yeah, he knows his legacy. He knows that how he left is not how he wants to be remembered. Sure. And I'm sure they went to every single organization that it was not AEW sure, and wanted to see what the best offer was going to be. We do know that he was in Chicago at one point. Yeah, he, he was. Well, what was it? There was a Monday Night Raw, not in Chicago, but near it, something, where he was backstage for a hot cup of coffee. Well, no, he was in the parking lot. And the, like I say, it was it was kind of like he was he was walking around. Well, no, he was. No, no the, 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 the one I'm thinking about, he was in the building briefly, not very long just not even like messing around. He's just saying hi to folks. They found out he was there. And they're like, Hey, probably he's, not a good idea. Leave Cause con- yeah, same thing. Like, Hey, you're contractually not with the company and you're with the other company. You can't be here. Right. But like I say, that's where it was kind of caught on the, in the parking lot of him talking yeah. to some people too. I, I know Miz was reported having talked to him. Yeah. So like I say, when that was there, I'm sure it was kind of just planting in my opinion. I want to make sure I'm, I'm very clear about this. Sure. In my opinion, I think he was just kind of putting the bug out of being like, Hey, you know, if things, change like do we want to do some business and the one thing is we have to remember as wrestling fans Uh wrestling is a business yep so if you're in business you're trying to make money Uh uh-huh him coming back to wwe is going to make money oh yeah it's gonna make him a shit ton of money because uh the other part of that press release that i was saving for this point uh that goes on to say quote in addition the surprise return of cm punk after nearly a decade away from wwe further drove massive digital engagement punk's comeback moment and they even included a link to this damn thing uh, uh goes on to say has more than 71 million views across all platforms making it the most social post in company history let that sink in for a minute 71 million combined social views Uh uh-huh and this email came to us when did we get this uh today yeah we got this today from wwe we got this today from wwe so that's 71 million views is over the course of let me pull up a calendar here one two three and a half days yeah let that sink in so if you're curious about oh does he still draw does he still do whatever uh i think that's a bona fide yes uh-huh. I don't think there's even any question well, about Well, and we've already heard the reports that, you know, obviously last year's WrestleMania was like the biggest gate in WrestleMania history, yada, yada. This year's had already beaten it. 
Mm-hmm. That was that was before CM Punk came back to the company. Well, that's going to be the whole thing too now is he throws another dynamic into it. And like I say, touching upon what he did with Monday Night Raw, which like I say, it was just further anticipation about the fallout because he just walked out at the end of Survivor Series and the crowd gave him a he, like Caesar returning to Rome. Yeah. He came back home and he kind of yeah. alluded to this in his promo that he did that he wanted to come back home. Uh-huh. That he had a lot of unfinished business. He still was teetering on that happy punk, but still the one that has a very sharp edge to him. Oh, yeah. And I think he ended it perfectly when he said, I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to make money. Yep. And did a certain dance. Well, it looked like it. it I'm going to say, in my, in my opinion, it was the dance of the young he, he was, it, looked, it looked like he was thinking about it. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think at that stage, too, he's just letting everybody know they're back. And the WWE wanted, I think WWE said, like, we're making a statement under the TKO era. Well, and that's the thing, too. Triple H said in the press conference, because. I was going to watch because I'm going through all the WWE and I'm going to be starting the WCW pay-per-views on Peacock. And I've been watching the 1990 Survivor Series. Mm-hmm. And I was about the second to last match or at the last match before that pay-per-view was over. So after this was over, I was going to go into bed, watch that, and then go to bed. Then I had to stay up because fucking CM Punk decided to walk out and freeze hell over. Oh, yeah. Um, but they, they talked about this or Triple H talked about this in the press conference because obviously this is all anyone wanted to talk about when Triple H is in the room. Mm-hmm. And and the thing he said is that, you know, it, this was TKO, you know, Endeavor didn't have anything to do with this. This was strictly he and Nick Khan. They wanted to do it. He said it only came, really came together 10 days prior to Saturday. He's like, you know, everyone was speculating it was going to happen. And then once I, it really didn't start happening until everyone stopped talking about it. Mm-hmm. And the other thing he said, too, is because obviously you think back to the pipe bomb and everything that was said by CM Punk about Vince McMahon, about Triple H, about Stephanie McMahon. I think Triple H put it best. He said, listen, it, it's been 10 years. You know, if you haven't changed in 10 years, you're doing something wrong. He's a different person. I'm a different person. This company is a different person. Mm-hmm. And I think that shows a lot that, you know, listen, I feel like there was probably for a while no love lost between the two sides. Even the company and CM Punk and Triple H and CM Punk. Mm-hmm. Nick Khan, I don't think, really had a, any feelings on the guy because he he came in after CM Punk left. So how the heck can he love or hate the guy? You know, he'd never met him before. You know, but for, for Triple H to kind of like, all right, listen, I know some stuff was said. Let's hash this out because reportedly, the, you know, they had a conversation for about an hour, according to reports. Mm-hmm. You know, but for them to kind of like set that aside, hey. We can make some real money. We can do some real crazy stuff with this. Let's do it. Well, that's the whole thing. Triple H understands the temp in the room. He understands about the business. Yeah. He understands it better than anybody. Yeah, he does. I mean, honestly. So the fact that he pulled this move off, I'm not surprised because the one thing that he now has is he has complete creative control. Uh Uh-huh. And the one thing that AEW has been very much enjoying with Vince McMahon in charge is they got to fly under the radar, so to speak. Vince McMahon getting fired or and walk quitting was the worst thing to happen to AEW. Absolutely. Because, because that let Triple H in charge. It let Triple H in charge, and he remembers the receipts. Uh-huh. And when you have somebody get on their social media and take shots that they won the Wednesday Night War and all that other BS, don't think for one minute he didn't remember this. Oh, yeah. And don't think that now with the blessing of TKO... He's not going to go out of his way to put out a better product. They don't call him the cerebral assassin for nothing. Exactly. He's going to go out of his way, and I'm going to tell you what, WrestleMania this year might be one of the most legendary of all time. Thank God it's two nights. It is. But like I say, this just carries over from Punk, and he's been there 
like I say, since Saturday. Yeah. His merch is already number one on the on merch, Fanatics, I believe. Merch is already number one on Fanatics. Yeah, it, it, it's insane. Like, I haven't looked today, but I know as of yesterday, his video on YouTube, the video of him returning on YouTube was still number one trending on the entire fucking site, which you think about the number of videos that get uploaded um, to YouTube every single day. The fact that it's number one, the fact that it was number one is absolutely insane. It's wild. But you know what? It works. Because it's honest, and the fans have wanted to tune in, and they want to see it. And fuck, it's still there. It's not so. It's not number one. Number one right now is Seth Rollins called. It's a video from WWE on Fox. Seth Rollins calls CM Punk hypocrite, reveals Jey Uso's world heavyweight title opponent. Uh, then you've got a clip from WWE on USA about from Randy Orton returning. Which hey, Randy, hell of a line on Monday Night Raw. Yeah. Uh, mommy's back. Mommy's back. Mommy's back. Well, guess what? Daddy's back. Yeah. Oh, holy fuck. Uh, then you got a couple of videos. You got one, two, three, four, five, five videos in between number two, and then CM Punk is still there. Well, he's still going to be there for a while too, because like I say, once he gets to SmackDown, which I fully think he's going to show up on. Uh, folks. Per, per, this week not scheduled. Randy Orton is though. Randy Orton scheduled, but you know what? I'm gonna Rand, s- Randy's got some receipts for the bloodline. I'll say right now, I, I wouldn't doubt they put Punk on. Uh, I'm going to call it right now Randy versus Roman at, at the Rumble. Um, Maybe. Could say it. Uh, I'll say maybe. Though. Since I know people are going to get angry if we don't talk about it, the Seth Rollins young Punk thing that happened after the cameras went off air, or maybe they were on air. I don't know. They never showed it on camera. Well, the, the, it's okay. all fan stuff. Is there any? Do you think it's true? No. Okay. I th- I in my I, th- I think it's a work too. In my in my heart of hearts, this is what I think. I fully I fully think because there was a video about the reaction of the wrestlers in the videos. Ring. Yeah, of them getting mad. Seth Rollins especially, but dropping off bombs, I, I middle will, fingers. I will give credit to our good friend Todd. Okay, who we know. Yeah, as, uh, I I don't know. He I don't know if he ever wants me putting his socials out on on here. It's a good buddy of ours. He's a good buddy of ours. Um, he made this comment, and this is what will solidify this for you as you watch it. Okay. Who held Seth Rollins back? That's true. Michael Cole. Yeah. Michael Cole, and I don't know how heavy it is, but it's a lot less than Seth Rollins. Exactly. So if Michael Cole was the only one holding Seth Rollins back, um, I think they tipped their hand a little bit. Yeah. Well, and plus the thing, too, uh, if you Google... Nothing against Michael Cole, but uh, let's face Ma- it. Michael Cole's below, Michael Cole's cruiserweight division. Yeah. Let's just let's just put it that way. I, I looked it up. Michael Cole's in the cruiserweight division. Um, no, the thing the thing of it is, is I think it's, I think it's a work because... Ever since Triple H took over, there have been these viral moments that the company likes to do mm-hmm. where the fans capture the video, post it online. It circulates because Triple H understands how the internet wrestling community works. Yeah. And he he's probably doesn't go on it, but he's probably aware of Reddit and he's probably aware of all the stuff on Twitter and everything else. We think back to the Matt Riddle, Seth Rollins thing where they had the brawl in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. In past Vince time, let's let's think back to whatever WrestleMania it was. It was it was John Moxley versus Brock Lesnar. Yeah. There was that shitty pre-show brawl they did in the parking lot where Lesnar showed up, oh, earlier in the day. Yeah. That's what WWE did in the past. Now, they're letting the guys, all right, go out there, brawl, we're going to have some guys trying to keep you separated, but we're going to wait until the fans are there to do it. Yeah. And they did that. You know, Rollins and Riddle got into a brawl in the parking lot. You know, the fans videotaped it. It made the rounds, and it was then shown right at the start of Monday Night Raw. Yeah. This this is what they do. Is is there legitimate beef between Seth and Punk? Probably. I I wouldn't doubt it. You know, I I it's hard to say with both of these guys because they, they blend the the line between reality and and you know story so well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's entirely possible they don't like each other. But guess who else Seth doesn't like? Cody. Or, Cody. 
Reportedly, Seth and Cody do not like each other and don't really hang out at all. They were still able to work together in a singles matchup against each other and work with each other for this War Games match. Seth is a company man. He will do what needs to be done. Might not like the guy, but he'll still work with him. He's a professional. Yeah. And the thing is, we deal with the professional wrestling business. Uh Uh-huh. Fans need to let that sink in. Professional wrestling business. Yep. So that's why this is going to work here because, let's face it, WWE is, on paper, very much more structured. Yeah. And they will be able to handle this a little more. Oh, absolutely. Like I said. Absolutely. Like I say, that's just my opinion of it. So, yeah, both of our opinion, the Seth things will work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't Because, think... honestly, go, go back and watch. I noticed, as soon as you said I noticed that, too, Saturday night, as I'm like, okay, we really believe in Michael Cole's holding yeah, Seth exactly. Rollins Yeah, exactly. Like I said, if he really wanted to go like, after Punky, was, he would Like, done. Corey Graves was there, because I know he and Corey are, are buddies. Yeah. I could see Corey being the guy holding him back and be like, oh, okay, there's, whoa, there might actually be something to this. It's Michael fucking Cole. Yeah. Like, no disrespect to the guy. I respect the hell out of the guy. But am I expecting him to hold the guy back in a fight? If Seth Rollins really wanted to go get a piece of punk, he would have done it. Uh-huh. Or he would have done what a lot of professionals do, see him in the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I said. Not doing it in the public eye. Exactly. That's why I say him being back has already generated ratings. It's generated T-shirt sales. It's generated merch sales. Like, this is the whole point about bringing him back. Yeah. And this is what everybody is talking about this event. Yeah. Like I say, carrying into Monday Night Raw. Everybody was still talking about this, and everybody waited to see that post-show interview or the closing show interview, I should say. Yeah. And where Punk nailed the points, too. And now we wait to see what he does next. And you know what else I think this does? Definitively puts a nail in the coffin that, that Vince McMahon's got anything to do with the company. Oh, absolutely. Because absolutely. Vin, because you cannot tell me Vince McMahon was involved in any way, shape, or form and allowed Punk to come back. He had nine years to, well, let's just say eight and a half because the last six months with the sale and everything else. But he had eight and a half years to bring him back Mm -hmm. and very easily could have because, yeah, sure, he's been with AEW for probably about two and a half years now. Uh, You know, so subtract those two and a half years, you get, what, six? Yeah. Five, six years. He had five, six years to bring him back and chose not to. He had no interest about bringing him back. So you cannot sit there and tell me that, oh, all of a sudden he now felt it was good to bring Punk back. There's no way. The only way he would have done it is if he if he thought he could make a ton of money. Right. And you know what? To be honest with you, Triple H understands this, and that's why he's bringing him back, and that's why, trust me, Punk is going to get into, put into a big feud oh, yeah. right off the gate. Oh, yeah. I know there's a lot of rumors saying right now Roman Reigns. Uh, I think it's going to be Randy. I, I'm going to say this with Punk. I'm not doubting it's Sami Zayn to start out with. I could see that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Sami Zayn or Miz? Well, Miz would make sense too, but I Although think he's he's going back after Gunther. It sounds like yeah, that's why I say like I yeah. don't necessarily think they would go that route, but it's not out of the realm of thought. Like I say, that's going to be something we'll have to leave for the ODPH Society to figure out. The other thing for ODPH Society to keep an eye out on, I know I brought this up to you off air, was Monday Night Raw when Main Event Jey Uso went to confront or catch up with Randy and basically like, hey, I'm not that same guy. I'm sorry what happened. Yeah, yada yada yada. Very interesting choice of words by Randy telling Jay, hey, as long as you're not in the bloodline, we're cool. Yeah. He didn't say, hey, no worries. You're not in the bloodline. We're all cool. He said, as long as you're not in the bloodline, we're cool. Yeah. Something you might want to keep in the back of your mind. Yeah. There's a lot to digest from this past weekend of WWE action. So we definitely want to have that conversation going with you after the show. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about Survivor Series War Games? 
What is your thoughts about CM Punk and Randy Orton returning to WWE? And where do you think everybody is heading now going into the Royal Rumble season? And if you're looking for even more pro wrestling content, remember every Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Nerd Initiative YouTube, it is Wrestling Night Live. So definitely join in the chat because I guarantee you we're going to have a lot more to say about CM Punk's return this week on the show. So definitely make sure you're dropping those follows, drop those subscribes, and definitely have that conversation with us this week. That being said, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Snyder, and you better... Listen to the ODPH podcast, or I'm coming for you, and Batman is coming for you. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, Pad, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about, first of which is obviously being the local minute and looking at the standings for the Binghamton Black Bears in the Federal Prospects Hockey League, specifically the Empire Division. Another week, still in first place. Let's go. Binghamton, in 14 games played, has a record of nine wins. One loss and then three losses in either overtime or shootouts. Uh, They've currently got 32 points. They're ahead of Motor City in second place with 26 points. Danbury in third place with 18 points. Watertown in fourth place with 11 points. And Elmira in last place with seven points points uh and then looking at the schedule from this past week they had a handful of games uh, on wednesday november 22nd they were at home against the danbury hattricks where they picked up the win by the final score of six to two they were on the road for friday again playing danbury where they won again by the final score of five to four this time in overtime and then they won on saturday by the final score of five to two this was a home game against danbury so picked up a three game wins over this past week uh, then uh, looking ahead to their schedule, they have this upcoming weekend, Friday, December 1st at 7 o'clock Eastern. They are at home against the Elmira River Sharks at the Visions Veterans Memorial Arena. And then they are off uh, until next Friday. So they've only got the one game this week. You'll be able to check them out at home. Like I said, 7 o'clock Eastern uh, for more tickets, information, and all that good stuff, BinghamtonBlackBears.com. And we're going to talk a little Pro Football Hall of Fame. Okay, because the semifinalist lists for the NF for the Pro Football Hall of Fame came out today. Uh, and I'm reading from an article on ESPN.com it says, "Quote: Three-time All-Pros Julius Peppers and Antonio Gates were chosen as semifinalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame's Class of 2024 in their first year of eligibility." Makes sense. Peppers and Gates headline a group of 25 modern-day semifinalists announced Tuesday by the Hall of Fame from a group of 173 nominees announced in September. The only other player who have who advanced to the semifinal stage in his first year of eligibility was running back Tiki Barber. Eight players who made it uh, to the final stage of 15 in the class of 2023 return as semifinalists this year with Jared Allen, Dwight Freeney, Devin Hester, Andre Johnson, Tory Holt, Patrick Willis, Willie Anderson, and Darren Woodson all looking to get in after falling short a year ago. The other semifinalists are Eric Allen, Anquan Bolden, Jahiri Evans, London Fletcher, Eddie George, James Harrison, Rodney Harrison, Robert Mathis, Steve Smith Sr., Fred Taylor, Heinz Ward, Ricky Waters, Reggie Wayne, and Vince Wilfork. Hmm. Uh, these 28 semifinalists will be reduced to 15 finalists before the final voting process in January. The 15 finalists will be trimmed to 10 and then 5 during the selection meeting early next year. The final five candidates will need to get 80% of the vote from the panel to get into the hall. Uh, Peppers and Gates were both college basketball players before finding their greatest success in football, close quote. Well, I mean, I don't argue with Peppers and Gates. No, I don't either. That's probably the biggest no-brainers right there. Yep, yep. Everybody else, I mean, 
The Hall is very interesting. I could see Hester making it just for how dynamic he was. I think Hester should. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's always kind of funny when they want to go about kick returns. That's true. That's the only thing with that. I mean, I have no problem. I hope he does get in. I do, too. But just going off that list, I mean, I don't really know. I mean, they're going to have a I big... can see Rodney Harrison getting in, uh, three-time Super Bowl champ. Uh, with the Patriots, a little bit of bias on my part. Well, that's what I was going to say. I know I, I could see it. You know, Big Vince, I'd love to see Big Vince in the Hall of Fame. Probably won't. Well, you, know, you never know. I mean, that's the whole thing with that. It's like it's tough to say who they're going to be looking at to to bring in. Mm-hmm. Because they always go with a big class. Like yeah, it's, they do. It's not like it's not Major League Baseball where it's two and you're done. Right. Like I say, you could you could go a lot of different ways. Like ba- baseball Hall of Fame, real stringent. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Like I say, with everybody else, I mean, I'd love to see London Fletcher get in. Sure. Because I think for what he did, he he could definitely make an argument for it. Mm-hmm. Heinz Ward is another one, you but could, you could make an argument, yeah. But like I say, you got to have an argument for him. Reggie Wayne, you can make an argument too. Yeah, exactly. Like I say, a lot of them were great on their teams, but yeah. when you start ranking them as the greatest of all time, yeah, that's the question mark you have to do. Yeah. So, like I say, if they win in, I wouldn't be arguing about it by any stretch of the imagination. Freeney, I think, will make it then. Freeney at should. Some, at some point. Freeney should. Dude was a monster. He should, but like I say, I'm not sure when exactly. Right, right. You know, like I say, there's a couple on here that I'm like, I, I don't know necessarily if they would, just because like, I think with injuries, mm-hmm. that really took a lot away from their careers overall. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be tough to say, but like I say, with Gates, Gates is a no-brainer, like... Honestly, kind of revolutionized the tight end position as we know it today. Absolutely. So he makes a lot of sense. And Peppers was just such a force yeah. on the defensive side of the ball with Carolina for all those years before he went to Chicago. Like I say, a lot of just different ways that he just impacted the game. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. So we'll have to, yeah, definitely have to wait to see. But, you know, Hall of Fame time is kind of crazy. We're already talking about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely excited about that. On my side of the ball, though, got to talk some NBA. Yeah. Obviously, the in-season tournament kicks back off tonight. So if you've been following that, I mean, it's exciting time. It's the NBA. It's, it's kind of giving you some a reason to watch before Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been kind of dipping in a little bit. Obviously, the Knicks have been playing better. Yeah. It's only three and a half games out of first, which I'll take. Because in the Eastern Conference standings right now, it's Boston, Orlando, Milwaukee, Philly, Miami, Indiana in the top six. Mm-hmm. The Knicks at seven, Cleveland at eight, Atlanta at nine, and Brooklyn at ten. Yeah. So nothing really like super crazy there. I mean, obviously Philly came back to earth a little bit, uh, but Orlando's been on the hot streak, seven wins in a row. Right. And then looking at the Western Conference, Minnesota is still at the top, surprising to me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma City right behind them, eleven to five. Uh, Denver is at three. Phoenix, who's on a seven-game win streak of their own, uh-huh. 11 and six, uh, at f- uh, number four. Dallas is at five. Sacramento at six. Houston at seven. The Lakers at eight. The Pelicans at nine. And Golden State at ten. Outside looking in, the LA Clippers. Interesting thing too that got announced, I believe today, uh, with the in- NBA in season. Yeah, that got out- announced today with the uh, in-season tournament it involves ESPN and TNT. This is a little exciting, personally, because both uh, both ESPN and TNT have amazing 
uh, commentators and broadcasters. Oh, inside the NBA, yeah, the the appreciate, yeah. So this is reading from a press release from on ESPNPressroom.com. Quote: ESPN and TNT today announced it will collaborate on game and studio coverage for the inaugural NBA in-season tournament semifinals on Thursday, December seventh. ESPN and TNT will each air one semifinal game live from T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. ESPN will exclusively televise the 5 p.m. Eastern semifinal game. ESPN's Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame broadcasters Mike Breen and Doris Burke will be joined by Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer and NBA on TNT analyst Reggie Miller to provide commentary for the game. ESPN's Lisa Salters will serve as the reporter. TNT will televise the 9 p.m. semifinal game. NBA on TNT commentators Kevin Harlan and Candace Parker will be joined by ESPN NBA analyst Doc Rivers okay. to call the action with TNT's Ali LaForce reporting. In addition to the game telecasts, ESPN and TNT will collaborate on pregame coverage. TNT's Inside the NBA team, Ernie Johnson, Kenny Smith, and Naismith Basketball Hall of Famers Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal will appear on ESPN NBA Countdown for an, ex- wow. for an extended segment with its 4 p.m. pregame show. ESPN NBA Countdown is hosted by Malika Andrews and includes Stephen A. Smith, Michael Wilbaum, Bob Myers, and Adrian Wojnarowski. The NBA Countdown team will then appear on TNT's Inside the NBA pregame show for an extended segment with their 7.30 p.m. telecast. Uh, the sets for their pregame shows will be located outside of T-Mobile Arena. The NBA in-season tournament championship game will air exclusively on ABC Saturday, December 9th at 8.30 p.m. That's big news. How awesome is that? That's amazing. Like That's what they should be doing, having uh-huh. some fun with this. I, yeah, and I like how they're kind of collaborating and mixing stuff together. Like I've always wanted to see... You know, especially Kenny, Kenny, Charles, and Shaq interview interact with like Stephen A. Smith. Yeah, that's gonna be fun. Oh, it's gonna be outrageous. That's gonna be wild. So uh-huh. I, I am here for that. Yeah. I mean, it's just something I, I like what they're doing with this tournament. I mean, I don't really fully get the incentive. Otherwise, it's a pay bonus. Like I'd love to do it. Like your team is guaranteed a, a seat in the playoffs. If they did something like that, I'd be all in for it. Yeah, but I think like right now, it's just kind of like, eh. But at least yeah. it gives me an incentive to watch. Yeah. Because, like I say, the Knicks are doing well right now. They're bouncing back. Life's good. Not as good as if you're a Rangers fan, though, because as we're going to close out, we obviously have to give our Rangers minute. Uh Uh-huh. And currently sitting at the top of the Metropolitan Division with a record of 15-4-1. I will take this 31 points in the bank. We're not talking about that last game, though. No, we well, you know what? The Sabres got lucky. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say that. I mean, sure. We we took the L there, 5-1. Congratulations. Buffalo, uh, let us know how the postseason's looking. (laughs) Put out there. Uh, like we say, if, if you're new to the show and you're still with us, uh, obviously, thank you so much for uh, sticking around. We talk very, very uh, one-sided when it comes to hockey. Mm-hmm. It's the only sport that I think the entire – I think that's a requisite for being on the ODPH is you need to be a Rangers fan for yeah. hockey Yeah, because we just talk very recklessly about that. And yeah, we, we, we get very obnoxious about it because, like I say, coming off a three-game win streak over Pittsburgh, Philly, and Boston – of course, the Rangers had to take a night off, and the, the yeah. Sabres took advantage. So congratulations. That was their Stanley Cup, and it's unfortunately done for them. Uh-huh. And now we go back on the winning streak, uh, taking on the Detroit Red Wings yeah. on the 29th of November, which uh, there was a news of a signing today. Oh, yeah? One Patrick Kane. Oh, okay. Is signing with Detroit. Okay. So okay. I, honestly, I'm not too worried about that. Um, yeah, we saw how well he did for the Rangers last year. I just think, unfortunately, at this stage of his career, he, he's not going to be the the game changer that 
Um, some people might think he capturing the magic of old, I should say. I was saying, if you want to watch the Detroit Red Wings uh, New York Rangers game and you want because you want to join Blue Shirt Nation, which you absolutely should, uh, it will be on TNT. I also know it will be because uh, I got an email about it this morning or yesterday. It will be live streamed on Max. Ooh. If you have Max. I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. No, but the Rangers are playing exceptionally well right now, so we'll definitely keep that up and obviously keep you updated as the season goes on because it's Blue Shirt Nation all day, every day here. Rangers fans, stand the puck up. Also, if you haven't seen the video from the Ottawa Senators Florida Panthers game uh, last night, yo, check that out. That is some fun television right there. Uh, everybody on the ice for the, for the fight that took place in the third period got ejected. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> I can't do the video justice. You have to go watch it. You d- you absolutely have to. So make sure you do that after the show. But remember first to swing on over to odphpodcast.com to so check out all the social media links. Check out the directory pad. How many providers are we on? Oh, 128,000. Sounds about right to me. The classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 3FM Podcast, Dragon Master Games, Nerd Initiative, and so many more. The music section, the blog section, the T Public Store link, the Patreon link. Basically, if there's anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. That's it for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. Fuck the Astros. I'm your host, Ken. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time. Punch.